Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Trek all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Like Michigan J. Frog just strutting down the street. Hello, my darling. Hello, my baby. Hello, my ragtime gal. What's up, everyone? It's time for our Wednesday edition of Morning Combat. Hi there. I'm Washington 43. My co-host is Washington 44. Why the fuck are you watching this show? Makes no sense, but it's well, it's morning combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. Joined by, <clears throat> I mean, look at this piece of work. <laughs> Brian Campbell. What's up, Brian look, Campbell? The answer to your question is um, relay- relatability, because I think the viewers of this show, you know, Spider-Man meme, in some ways, they feel like they're looking in a mirror, like that could have been me. A couple things turned a different way. My yellow teeth could have turned into that. But Luke, you know, there, there's only two, right? There's only two of us that can hold this throne down, win all these awards, juggle this many combat sports, and be this incredible, Luke. Yes, you have entered Morning Combat. Yeah, baby. Yeah, all right, right, right. I mean, uh, yeah, I we got a fun feeling that? You know, no, no, we got a we got a fun one for you guys today. There's all our show, social stuff. Give us a follow. Give us a follow on TikTok, dude. I gotta tell you, the more I use TikTok, the more I like it. I know that sounds crazy. I know you don't want to do it, but like, it's great. It's great. Off one yeah, post, I got for, fifty thousand followers. One post. It's great for sensory addiction, Luke. Okay, just That's put true. that on the you know on the That's track true. level of I must flip to the next video. You know, I got enough videos to flip on other channels, Luke. I don't need TikTok. I don't need your your you know relevancy to the youth you know your connections to what to what will be luke you're what you are what was and until you're ready to deal with that luke you're gonna have a lot of meaningless apps on your phone all right don't know what you're saying don't really care but i do want to tell you what's going to be on the show today so first off we do have two you i should say two mma events this weekend one ufc charlotte by the way bc i saw a post from someone else on twitter and they had screenshotted the arena in Charlotte where the UFC on ABC4, it's UFC Charlotte, UFC and ABC4, same, same event, where it's going to take place. They have 
seats available. Now it's kind of in the bleeders, but it's a smaller arena anyway for $72. We always say if you're complaining oh. about the UFC, I know. And the card's not that great. It's okay in certain ways, but Look, you get to go. It, as I said Monday, it's better than the pay-per-views around it. And I think you understand that. I think you do. I just don't know if I fully agree with that. I know what you're getting, but the point being is certainly competitive with them in terms of how uh, uh, quality of the card is, and it's significantly more affordable. So if you're in the Charlotte area, something to certainly consider. But okay, we'll talk about Bellator 296. They're back in Paris, France, I believe for their third event there. And uh, we'll talk about the state of the UFC product as well. Plus, we'll react to that Paul Diaz presser yesterday in Texas, and we'll get to fan subs and a whole lot more. So thumbs up here if you're watching on YouTube. Give us a nice review if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, yeah, BC, I want to remind everyone as well, we're going to be in studio on Friday. I should have a fun show planned for you guys. We'll be doing the prelims on Saturday in studio for Showtime Championship Boxing. And uh, anything else that the folks should know, BC? What if the people wanted a, uh, a like a rehash? If they were like, Luke, is there any chance you and BC could just turn on the cameras while you hang out Friday night and party and just be, you know, formerly young viral men? Can we get Room Service Diaries 1.0? And I think the answer to that question, Luke, is is no. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's no. If you, like, I can't make you do it. I'd be willing to do it. I'd be willing Luke, to do I'd it. I'd be willing to do it if you could guarantee I won't lose my job. Uh, I mean, I can't guarantee that no matter, I can't guarantee that after today's show, much less That's one of point, those, yeah. but uh, if you want to do it, we can do that. I'd be okay with it, but all right, well, we're gonna have a fun show for you guys on Friday. And of course, youtube.com slash morning combat, morning combat at gmail.com to email the show for today's fan subs, Fridays did wrong and, and anything else. And, uh, you know, showtime is the label that pays showtime.com 30 day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. You know how that goes. And, um, merch, look, I'm wearing, merch. I'm wearing merch. All right. I think you got the 1.0 merch going on with the shirt anyway, but yeah, morningcombat.store, morningcombat.store. <laughs> there you go. There it is. And also we do have humans working there. They're just not named RJ right now. That's the truth. Yes, okay? it has been. It has been updated. Uh, one more note. We know that UFC president Dana White, I think as we speak, is taking to just Twitter. announced it, Luke. It's the full main card for International Fight Week. Oh, UFC so, 290, I believe. Okay, is the card. then let's react to that to start today's show. Let's react right off the top. Some breaking news here from UFC President Dana White regarding the International Fight Week main card. So it goes something like this. Your main event will be Alexander Volkan... Sorry, it's on my phone. It's the only place I have it. Alexander Volkanovsky will be taking on uh, Yair Rodriguez. Brandon Moreno will defend his bantamweight... Wait, it says bantamweight. I think they mean flyweight they wrote bantamweight on this graphic interesting okay he'll be defending his flyweight title against uh alexandre pantoja in a middleweight contest robert whitaker will face drickus du Plessis. a lightweight contest between the returning jalen turner and dan hooker and then bo nickel is gonna fight treshawn gore uh that's your main card bc your reaction they also got the they got the Weight wrong for Moreno. And also, uh, Dana added in the July 22nd London Fight Night card, Luke, will be headlined by Tom Aspinall versus Marcin Tybura. So let's go with IFW UFC 290, this five-fight main card. Uh, do I like it? I don't love it, but I like it. I like it a lot. I wouldn't say it's very good. I think there's potential here. There's certainly five fights that I want to see. Does this live up to the slam-bam celebrity 
big fight can't miss nature that the IFW tag has had at some points during this, you know, nine, 10 year run of going to Vegas the first weekend in July. Maybe not, but here's the good news. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez is 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 a first class offering in your main event to unify the featherweight titles. The best fighter in the world against, you know, arguably the most dangerous remaining foe in that weight class who he has not yet faced. Love that. Love the opportunity here for Robert Whitaker to get back into a title fight. Obviously, there's a headache potential there without Asanya in a third meeting. And does DDP deserve this? Either way, I think that's going to bring some intrigue in there. Uh, Moreno Pantoja is also one that you that you might sleep on on the surface, but has a potential to be very good. And, you know, Bo Nickel taking that next step indeed. Um, look, it's not going to make me jump through glass, but if you want me to show up in July and be there, and if you want me to bang, I can get into some of those fights on that card, okay? I think the card is actually really good. I like the main event for every reason you described. I think Yair is probably a much more significant challenge to Volkanovsky's um, belt than maybe some folks believe or otherwise uh, appreciate. I love the co-main event, honestly. I, I think that it's an important fight for that division. It's a fresh, well, reasonably, it's a fresh champion versus contender matchup in that sense, obviously. So um, we're not doing retreads of title fights in that way, which I, I'm, I'm okay with. So I like that, plus it's competitive. I like having Bo Nickel on the card. I think that's a good next step. Jalen Turner and Dan Hooker, I believe, are still ranked. And then Robert Whitaker and Drinkus Duplessis are obviously both ranked. Winner there, it's probably a number one contender fight. So here's what that card is missing for July, a blockbuster fight. It doesn't have yes. a blockbuster kind of anchor. But in terms of overall card quality, I'd say that's pretty high. I'd say that that's something very, very much being excited about. And, you know, we've often talked about the UFC trying to make inroads into African-American fan bases, making inroads into Latin American fan bases of all different varieties. You see that much more in boxing. Obviously, boxing is a very different kind of audience. I mean, that's almost all their audience at this point. But um, having two Mexican nationals winning titles potentially on that night, I know it's it's the it's the interim versus the regular for the unification in the case of the main event. I'm just saying by the end of the night, you could have two Mexican nationals having their hands raised as UFC champions on the same night. That would be another step, a great step forward for the development of that market and that fan base to get them over here to be MMA fans. So that could be good as well. Yeah, sorry, Luke. I had my uh, my the wrong settings on my headphones there. So if anyone heard double talk and an echo, that was a per you know was a user error. But Luke uh, Dana would go on to announce that that UFC 290 card will be the final bout, the preliminary portion of Robbie Lawler's great career when he'll be taking on Nico Price. So. Under those settings and that matchup, I certainly don't hate that either. I agree it's missing a second blockbuster matchup, but uh, pretty pretty damn good, even though this was breaking news to announce fights that we largely already knew were there. But, you know, that is ultimately, Luke, what it is at the end of the day. I think Dana threw in a Power Slap 2 promo as well in there. That'll be in May. <laughs> in uh <laughs> He was wearing a Rumble T-shirt at the time too, Luke. So you know we're getting all well, we're mar hitting. Mark your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. Mark yes. your calendars. So there uh, you okay, go, and then you said, I'm sorry, you said when was that London Fight Night card? Just one more July reminder. July 22nd, I believe, was the the date, and that is uh, Tom Aspinall back against uh, Mar Marcin Tybura. Which you know I don't I don't love that matchup per se, but Aspinall's got to bounce back from this injury and get back in line as a potential next for this division. So. You know, fire me up there, Luke. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right. 
Uh, with that in mind, let's get topic number one started here. So Bellator 296. Let me get my notes up on this one here very quickly. Bellator 296. Oh, also, Luke, if you were willing to make a bet, a, a bet that Henry Cejudo could not go the distance against Alexander Volkanovsky, you know, I, I'd I'd stand up to you in that bet. Just so you, in case you were wondering, if you were sitting around wondering, like, how, you know, how deep is this argument right now? Like, how, how much are we on opposite sides of the firing lines in this battle? Somebody, Luke has to be willing to stand up for your um, down-under hard-on that's going on. So you don't think Henry Cejudo could go the full 25 minutes? You're crazy, Luke, all right? Am I? Is that what I am? Crazy? Yep, yep. Well, yep. We'll just leave that out there, Luke. It's out there, all right? It's It's been published. Can't delete I mean, it. You gave me no reason to believe you other than just declaring it comfortably. It's, it, that that's all you know also been part of my strategic strategy luke in presenting opinions you know you know, take them as, as as they are or 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 let me go yeah there you go all right okay. let's talk about bellator 296 here to kick things off this will be friday night well friday afternoon i should say on showtime because it takes place at the accor arena i'm sure my french is very good in paris france of course this is going to be headlined by the returning gegard Mousasi who last lost against Johnny Eblen, lost his title and everything else, taking on uh, Fabian or Fabian Edwards, of course, the brother of Leon. This is going to be a uh, 185-pound middleweight contest. Also, BC, tournament quarterfinals for the lightweight Grand Prix. Mansoor Barnawi taking on Brent Primus. Douglas Lima is back, and we'll see what kind of state he's in against Costello Van Stinas. And then Thibaut Guti, who's a he was UFC veteran, now he's a Bellator guy. He's on this card. Also, Denise Kilholtz, a bunch of other ones. Let's talk about that main event here very quickly, BC. Gegard Mousasi taking on Edwards at 185. Uh, Edwards enters this contest on what I would say are the best two wins, basically, of his career, sure. beating Leona Machida in round one and then decisioning uh, hospital Charlie Ward. That's actually his nickname. Uh, Mousasi, pop quiz, uh, how old is Mousasi, BC? 37, I just looked it up. That's right, you did look. 37 years of age, I had to look as well. Now, he had a great run there. He lost to Lovato Jr. back in 2019. Then he won four fights straight, losing to Eblin. But against Lovato Jr., BC, he did not look old to me. He did look a little bit old to me against Eblin. What is really possible here? How good do you expect Gegard Mousasi to be? Yeah, look, he's an old, great fighter. Still a minus 230 betting favorite, according to our friends at Caesars, in this matchup. But the intrigue and the turn and the tune-in here is certainly on the potential of this crossroads matchup. Does Gegard have another run in him? I mean, look, I, as much as this is a middleweight contest and Gegard's coming off losing the middleweight title, I still want to see if there's a light heavyweight run. I still want to see the way Vadim Nemkov has been taking care of opponents one after another and building a very strong resume after even that little hiccup there against Corey Anderson that he was able to uh, correct in the rematch. I love the idea of Musasi moving up and taking on that. But for now, this is a check-in on exactly where he's at at middleweight. And I think when you are an aging great fighter, you can have – you know, mixture of moments. You and I have debated handily in recent years. Does Gegard still have it? There were times that maybe I was overrating what he still has left while you were underrating it. But he went in there against Austin Vanderford and took care of things. But then in yielding this title against a very good rising fighter who is really showing us how good he can be, you know, I didn't love a lot of Musasi's performance last time out. So, Luke, I do have questions right here. For Fabian Edwards at 30 years old, this seems to be his time to figure out who he is as a fighter. He put two wins together, get out of the shadow of his brother, and build his own name. So I like the matchmaking. I like the timing. 
But I've got legitimate questions as to where Musasi is. I think sometimes at this age, it could be matchup dependent in terms of showing or, or, or being able to conceal age at, at a certain level. When Musasi has committed to the wrestling and matchups in which he has that advantage, I like that pivot to a more ground-based style later in his career and taking advantage. But against Eblen, that was something that just wasn't working for him and the physicality and the thunder that Johnny Eblen brought in there. Uh, if Musasi can pass this test against the plus 195 Fabian Edwards, it should tell us what he has left. And I think there is still something left there, Luke. Uh, but certainly one of the greatest careers, despite having been a strike force champion, to never having won, you know, UFC gold per se, even though he had a great run in that organization. Um, as well, as long as he's willing to hang on here and still be at this level, I'm willing to tune in because Musasi is one of the greats in, in an understated nature. Luke, he's always been calm and not self-grandizing, but we know what we have here in this legend. The question is, how much does he have left? I, I still think enough to get the win, but I've got my questions moving forward for sure. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm I'm basically there. It's for Edwards. He has some good momentum. He's 30 years of age. The question is if he's really going to turn a corner now, like a real demonstrable corner a win here is basically essential because otherwise he would just kind of be what he ordinarily was you would look at the Machida win and be like that's a nice win certainly with a great name on paper but what state was Machida in by the time that they competed and so if he can put those two wins together and then this one where yes this guy is aging as well but still crafty enough where you have to respect the difficulty in getting it that would be really I think a major step up for him, it would solidify um, some of the interest we've had in him given the last two wins. On the other hand, if he can't win here, you know, it says a lot. But I think going back to Musasi, it is interesting. Like this guy, folks remember, like he can play the levels. He's never going to out wrestle a guy like Johnny Eblen, but he is going to out wrestle guys who aren't quite up to par, particularly maybe some European guys who are not necessarily known for the best wrestling. I mean, Austin Vanderford has a decision win over Fabian Edwards, and he didn't do it just striking on the feet the whole time, I can assure you. So there's a question there where it's like, maybe Musasi is slowing down. Maybe I mean, the guy's got nearly 60 pro fights. God knows how much of the combat sports experience. Like the miles are there. The time has certainly been put in. But he's still crafty on the feet. He's got levels he can play, especially against certain kinds of overmatched opposition. Maybe maybe Fabian Edwards is younger by seven years, but that but whatever physical gifts he has, or I should say relative youth he has uh, over Musasi, the experience gap, the skill gap should still be there. If it's not, it tells you a little bit more. If it is another rabbit out of the hat for the for the sort of the wonder in many ways that Musasi's career has been. Hey, Luke, do you echo any any of my like? Hey. Let's see him against Nemkov there. Let's go back up to light heavyweight. You, you've, no. you've had, you don't, you don't want anything to do with that. Listen, if Bellator wanted to make it to make Nemkov look good for some kind of reason, you know, okay, uh, fine, you could do that. But like, am I thinking, wow, I just don't know who's going to win that one? Yeah, I know who's going to win that one. That one's not. There's no real mystery there. Uh, well, there's no mystery per se, but there is the idea with the greats at the tail end of their career that sometimes they can be inconsistent because it's hard to stay at that level at that age, but they also can dial it back on, on the given night with the right training camp and come in and really show out. So I think there would be that potential, which is why I hold potential interest in that. But I do find myself alone on this Island. Luke would not be the first time when talking about MMA. <laughs> yeah. Listen, people, 
people will like your fights that you make. They will not like the fights that you're making. That's not one of my favorite ones. The thing is against Eblin, like Eblin is like, if when you think about it, BC, yeah, who is the most underrated middleweight currently competing in high level MMA? Johnny Eblin's got a, got an argument for it. Uh, I mean, he is very, very talented. So looking, you know, not your best against him is is not like, wow, you must be total trash. It's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Nemkov isn't the wrestler that Eblin is, but he's 20 pounds up a weight class, you know, and he also can wrestle and he also can do fire. I mean, he's like, he's in the peak of his powers. It's like, you're not, you, you, there's no reason to believe it would be different all that much from, Eblin to Nemkov, despite their differences in terms of what the physical force, the physical presence that those guys bring being just too much for him, you know? That's, I mean, it's a fair comeback, Luke, but, you know, there's two sides to every coin. And, uh, wow, you know, this white belt kind of has a look of like, does this look more suspenders or apron to you, Luke? Yeah, you look like you're uh, cutting up ham at the Piggly Wiggly back there and yeah. then just totally <laughs> rubbing your just balls on all the produce. Slicing up these hot takes one after another over here, right, Luke? No doubt about it. You're a chef chopping the block. Um, all right, so that's that fight, BC. You had the odds. I'm sorry, I didn't see them. Can you read them to me one more time? I didn't have Absolutely, them. Absolutely, Luke. Let me tell you, it's a minus 230 gay guard plus 195 Fabian Edwards. Yeah, so Edwards has his work cut out for him. Would be a pretty big win. I would I would consider this to be his best win, even over the Machida one, if he was able to get this. So we'll see. Of course, this will be in Paris, France. BC, in your co-main, Brent Primus taking on Mansoor Barnawi. Mansoor Barnawi is the guy who just steamrolled his way into the organization, a French guy. You know, in many ways, you would kind of love it if he was in the main event, but okay, he's not. BC, he's got a record of 20 and four. He's the guy who came in and just ran the table on Adam Piccolotti, basically, in his Bellator debut of Bellator 287 back in 2022. He's taking on Brent Primus here. Uh, Brent Primus, a little long in the tooth at this point. 38 years of age. He's lost, well, two of his last three, but it were to Islam Mamadov and Alexander Shabli. And, of course, Benson Henderson, he got a win there. Still, dude, Barnawi looks like he might be the, 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 the true dark horse of this tournament. He looks like he's got good ground and pound, good takedowns, Good sweeps, really understands that part of the world, the, the game, I should say. He'll be the hometown favorite by a considerable mile. He can strike as well. I, I like his chances, man. I got to tell you. Oh, absolutely. Look, 30 years old, eight-fight win streak, including having won that Bellator debut you mentioned last October against Piccolotti. And, look, you look over this run, which was uh, in KSW and Road FC leading into Bellator – He's turning some heads, and this was supposed to be Sydney Outlaw, as we know, when this $1 million tournament was first announced. All Outlaw, what did he pop for uh, for uh, P PEDs, Luke? Is that what happened? Yeah, like like seven or eight of them, like yeah. some absurd amount. <laughs> he had the Jarrell Big Baby Miller mixture, which is everything that they offer, Luke. But look, here's the deal. Primus, former champion, not young in his career at 38, but is coming off a stoppage loss, Luke, but he has juggled wins and losses in recent years against decent competition. Had a win over Benson Henderson, whatever you want to make of that point in this portion of Benson's career, though. And, and we did see Benson Henderson just recently go up and fight at the title level in the $1 million tournament. But yeah, I'm interested to see what, what, what Bellator potentially has here in Mansoor. And Luke, he has not lost since 2016 mm -hmm. to a current UFC fighter for the KSW lightweight championship. Which fighter was that, Luke? For which weight class? 
this was for the KSW Vacant Lightweight Championship. He lost a unanimous three-round decision in 2016. Oh, I don't know. In Poland, Luke. In Poland. Uh, oh, was it um, uh, the, the grappler, the, the Polish grappling kid? Mateusz um, Gamrot. Yes, yes, you're right. You're yes. correct. The Polish grappler, Luke. And uh, so, you know, the, we, we've seen the high level he's been with in the past. He's had eight straight wins since then. Let's see what he can do here against Primus. Um, interesting, Luke, in this bracket, like who's going to end up coming out of here? What do you? What are your thoughts about this tournament in general? We got some big names in here. What have we seen so far? We've seen Benson Henderson lose his title bid against Nurmagomedov. I forgot. What was the secondary matchup in that? Do you remember? I have to look at the brackets in front of me. This is obviously the one part of the quarterfinals. I... I I, I like it. I, I well, first of all, I like the tournament. I do. I really like this matchup because I think it gives Brent Primus a chance to get some redemption. He, by the way, Barnawi minus three ninety, Brent Primus plus three twenty. So he is up against it. Would be a very big upset for him to get this. So that would be massively redemptive. Again, in the guy's hometown. On top of it, but for Barnawi, I just have a feeling, dude, he's going to be in the finals. I don't know if he's going to win. But I feel like, man, he's going to beat a lot of people that no one expects him to or would otherwise not pay attention. And so I think oh. it's good that they're featuring him in Paris, France. But I, I, he's going to break some people's hearts, I feel like. This well, tournament. he may not break as many as you think, given the bracket setup. So um, Usman Nurmagomedov made the first defense of his Bellator lightweight title in beating the former champion Benson Henderson in the first round submission. The winner right. of this Barnawi versus Primus fight on Friday faces the ah. champion. And then on the other side of the bracket, we've already seen Alexander Chablis uh, stop Tofik Musayev in the third round. We've yet to see the wow. AJ McKee against Patricky Pitbull. The winner That's of that will sick. take on Chablis. So look, okay, the so tournament's I coming. I didn't together. know that. Yeah, I mean, if, listen. If the winner of this has to fight Usman, I don't like either of their chances. Sure. I will say, I think, I think Barnawi gives Usman some problems, though. I do believe that. That would be interesting. I mean, look. At the end of the day, oh man. I mean, these Bellator tournaments have pretty much played out lately either in perfect case scenario or in, oh, wow, didn't see that coming, but this is a strong final. We're going to find out who's best. I mean, we got Patchy versus Rafion in that last tournament. It was perfect timing for both. Uh, if we don't end up, though, with AJ McKee versus Usman Nurmagomedov, um, you know, this is you roll out the balls for these tournaments, and that's what I like about them. You face who you face, right? There, you're, you're, there's no pre-planning here. But that's arguably the best fight Bellator can make as an organization. Maybe, maybe not necessarily for, like, main event on CBS to try to, you know, make some major moves. But what's the best fight this promotion can make? It may be that one. Let's find out if we end up getting to that. You know, who knows, Luke? Who knows? Fair enough. Uh, BC, anything else from this card really interests you? I will say, listen to this. Douglas Lima, at one time a guy who had an argument for best welterweight on earth, certainly top three uh, at his peak, I would say. Uh, he's taking on Costello Van Stinas, who is a good... I would say uh, international class fighter. Douglas Lima is a plus 135. Can you believe it? He's an underdog against Van Stinas. BC, I understand it. Douglas Lima has fallen on hard times. This is a huge fight for his future if he has one no at doubt. all at this point. No doubt. He hasn't won a fight since 2019, by the way. That was wow. the rematch with Rory McDonald in the $1 million final of that welterweight, welterweight World Grand Prix. So, Luke, it's four straight defeats for By Lima. the way, this is a 185 fight. Sure. And some of those defeats, 
you know, I mean, he moved up to middleweight and lost to Gegard. You're not going to hold that hugely against him. He got railroaded by Yaroslav Amoslav. Uh, he does that to everybody, Luke. There was that split decision against Michael Page where I think you had to like the survival instincts of Lima, switching to wrestling late in that fight, doing whatever he could to try to, you know, hang in there. Then he lost a, a, a real opportunity at a comeback in the standings there in the rankings against Jason Jackson, a five-round decision. So it's not that it's been lifeless and uncompetitive, but it's been a, a steep slide now at 35, four straight defeats from where he was, $1 million richer and in the argument of maybe best in the world at his weight class. Now we've got him, as you mentioned, back up at middleweight here. Uh, and by the way, Luke, Van Steenis owns a recent decision win over one Fabian Edwards, who is in the main event. So right. tough matchmaking again. We're going to find out if Douglas Lima can survive this in advance to more, Luke, or if we have to have a different conversation at five losses in a row. That, I mean, you, entering that gay guard fight, whether you believed in Lima's chances of moving up in weight and winning that title or not, you wouldn't have believed me if I told you this was the the next four fight result, Luke. I know no, you, you. No, I would never. I would never have a match. I would imagine you could maybe convince me he would go 50-50 after that, but like oh and four, no. Yeah, I would not have believed that. And I, I like that he's going to one eighty five. He has been vocal of late that now at thirty five years of age, going to one seventy just kills him. It just really, really compromises him. And so you, I don't think he can take the kind of punishment that ordinarily he'd be able to take. But more to the point, BC. In that five-round fight against Jason Jackson, he just got out wrestled, and then to yeah. some degree, a little bit out hustled. And I wonder to what extent that weight cut really impacted, like how much he was rationing offense. You know, just to, like I want to punt on this round so I could maybe win the next one or whatever. At 185, let's see what it does for his zip and his willingness to like really engage offensively. Well, or if he's shot, changing weight classes isn't going to fix that. You know. No, it's not. And there we're, you know, we're certainly asking a lot of him in this matchup. And to be fair, you, the idea of maybe getting outworked. I mean, look, the first fight against Rory, he got outworked in that fifth round. It was a great fight. It was a classic Bellator title fight at the Forum in Inglewood. I don't know if you remember that. They went into the fifth round dead even. And Rory just out-wrestled him and just out-strategized him to get the win there. Now, obviously, Lima bounced back from that, regained the title, won a million dollars, and really reached the pinnacle point of his career but are some of those same issues of the past? Do those get re-emphasized on a larger scale when you age? Of course. Now you're not just aging. You're going into a new weight class. Uh, do you expect him to be a wrestler in this matchup, Luke? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the 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 reaction time, the speed, the aggressiveness is, is certainly not at the same level it once was. Can he reinvent himself in general at middleweight is something I'm certainly looking to see. I, I just – the I, I think all of that is possible, actually. Because it's just not, I just can't say how much the cut drained him until we see a better example like this one. And I know he fought previously at this weight class, but I mean, like, what stage he's in now? Can he beat someone credible but beatable? Uh, I guess we'll have to see. I guess we'll have to see. But um, I think it's possible. I think it's possible he could extend his career a little bit with some smart um, tactical strategies, tactical changes, and some physical rejuvenation. But even that is an uphill climb. Uh, also on this card, quite uh, to, to wrap things up here, Denise Kilholtz is a minus 255 favorite against Paula Christina. Brett Johns, the UFC veteran out of Wales, was supposed to be on the card, but he got staph infection, so he's off of it. And then there's a series of other players on here. BC, if there's anything that stands out to you, let me know, but I don't think that there is. 
No, you know, you know, Luke, you know, I'm looking for for my type of people on the undercard, right? Like rat garbage, right? You know, Nandel Mallow. Uh, He's no know, longer uh, in Bellator, I don't think. I know. Neither is my guy, Big Tuna, who I all, I'm always looking for for our guy as well. Luke, did you see Big Tuna signed on with uh, what was Frank Mears UFL, the, the organization he was fighting with? Was that that was the UFL, correct? Yes, I believe that's the name. You uh, yes, I believe that's right. United Fighters League or something. Yes. So yeah. uh Big Tuna Ben Parrish has signed on to to fight with them, Luke. Uh could not be cheering more for this guy on his comeback there. Luke, he lost he had a close disputed loss there in the LFA, but now he's uh retooling the dice. I don't know if you saw the shout out he gave us on IG. We're bit we're you know, we're huge big tuna guys over here, right? We are big tuna guys. I don't know if I saw it. I may have seen it. I you know, he Was may have recent? called you his favorite journalist in MMA. It's possible. You know what I mean? He may have called well, you. Well, dude, that. I get a lot of, I mean, you got to imagine my, you know. You're like, I get that a lot. So it should be. No, okay, no, 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 know? no. Quite the opposite. Like, I have to wade through a lot of people saying. Hate. Yeah. The, yeah, I, yeah. So I have to just kind of like tune it out a little bit. Um, Look, you have significantly more followers than I do, which means you face significantly more hate than I do. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know how I'm people really with like sorry. a million followers do it. I mean, unless they're like celebrities or something. But I think they just don't check. You know, they just don't. They yeah, don't they look just at the they just yeah, they just punt. They just punt. Yeah, they just they post and ghost. Hey, Luke, breaking news in MMA. Are you ready for this? I want to get your, your Let's thoughts. Hear Let's hear it. The PFL has announced two-time Glory kickboxing welterweight champion Cedric Doombay. Are you PFL got him? Wow. Yes. Wow, Cedric Dumbay is just a phenomenal, phenomenal kickboxer who was announced with UFC, and then it was like, oh, wait, no, he's not at all, and now he he ended up with PFL? Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Did they I mean, say look, when he's debuting? Know, no, but they got him. They might get Francis Ngannou. They they got Jake Paul for whatever that's worth, Luke. They Dude, all, they're, they're trying, trying to get Bellator. They're trying to get Bellator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying. like just they're chips trying. all in is what they're doing i like the i we're, like the aggressiveness i do we're gonna find out pretty soon how smart that cage really is at the negotiation table <laughs> you know what i mean i mean if pfl goes bust i don't think that cage was all that smart bc i gotta tell you not, not that smart you could tell me the miles per hour of that guy's ball bag, bag swinging back and forth but you know you, you you couldn't sweeten the pot on some of this negotiation you know what i mean or is I just, it all intimidating? I, dude, I cannot believe how committed they are to absolute fake math that means nothing and then plastering it on the screen season yes. after season after season. it's like shocking that they keep doing it all right bc neither here nor there let's go to topic number two here we do have a UFC event this weekend. It will air on ABC. It's the fourth such event to do that, but it's also called UFC Fight Night. Jair Rosenstrike taking on Jailton Almeida or UFC Charlotte because it does, in fact, take place in Charlotte, North Carolina. I believe. Can I ask the, you a uh, critical question? Can I interrupt the, you? Qu quickly, quickly, the, quickly, the Spectrum Center in Charlotte. There you go. Let me ask you this question, Luke, because... We got to, it's on our rundown. We didn't get to it really fully on Monday, but it's on our rundown today. Let's just talk about the UFC in general. We will, but as an extension of that, of where we are, where we're going, matchmaking business wise, I thought, just like I thought International Fight Week used to mean something, we're going to bang you, DP, right? We're going to hit you with two main events you care about here. We didn't necessarily do that in, in July this year. The ABC close-ups, if you remember UFC on Fox, right? Like the close-ups, the 10-pole, the quarterly check-ins. Remember Dillashaw Cejudo was a ESPN Plus kick-off-the-deal card? Like mm -hmm. sometimes you get these non-pay-per-views that are meant to be 
powerhouse superstar cards. Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater that time on ABC. I like a lot of this card up and down. But true or false, is Jairo Rosenstruck versus a guy we all love a lot who's rising in Jailton Almeida. Is that an ABC main event, Luke? No. I mean, I, I'll say this. Like, I don't mind Almeida getting a great spotlight because I do think that he has an interesting future. He's a really big light heavyweight, basically, that's plenty big for heavyweight and has a uniquely dangerous game given who is at heavyweight by virtue of how he can compete physically and then the advanced skills that he has in the grappling department. He is like Curtis Blades can wrestle, for example, but like, you know, like who's the best heavyweight grappler in MMA? I guess you might say John Jones, but even then, and he did get the sub on Cyril Gaon, but like I would argue someone like Bouchesha, Marcus Almeida, who was like, a, I think, an 11-time world champion at the black belt level in the gi he fights for one uh fc or one championship now he's not the best heavyweight you know but i'm saying like a, a a submission focused heavyweight he's that kind of guy but as an mma fighter he's obviously even behind jailton almeida although i wonder how a fight like that might go but you get what i'm saying these guys are rare the heavyweight submission specialist dude back in the days of couture and barnett and verdum and even to alexi Lennox still around the heavyweight submission expert used to be kind of a more common archetype so to answer the question, I'm glad to see a guy like that who's bringing back the old school vibe with the new school game to an extent. I like that. But as an attraction for people in North Carolina, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It doesn't make any sense to me, you know? <laughs> oh, it's okay. So quick question. We're going to break down these matchups, but Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker is the co -main. I like that fight. I like Even though I've made that comment in the past, what was it? Anthony Smith, Ryan Spann, we had a little argument. And I was like, that's not a... I mean, remember that was like two years ago. I was like, that's not a main event. And you're like, Anthony Smith is must-see TV every time out. And you know what, Luke? I'll jump in there and correct myself and say after meeting him, after knowing what makes that guy, you know, tick, I love that man. That's Factory Town MMA. I yeah, actually might have popped more for Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker as a main event here. Neither here nor there, Luke. Rosenstruck will be a plus 390 Main event underdog here against the minus 490 rising Jalton Almeida. I do echo what you're saying about Almeida that I want to see what we have here because it seems to be something unique and special and a and a runaway rising force here in this division. Rosenstruck has lost four of his last seven, three of them by knockout. I mean, it's we're not past it on him completely, right? But we are, we are like. I mean, where where do you stand on Rosenstruck at this point? Because even some of his biggest wins, he was losing up until that point. It's sort of who he is, Luke. But there hasn't been improvements out of this guy. It's, yeah, I mean, you know? he just hasn't really... He brought an interesting game, especially like his first four fights. He brought like a really interesting game with his counterpunching, his accuracy, you know, like that Arlovsky win was real nice. And I think still means something to this day. But we just didn't get anything else really beyond that like the Overeem fight like Overeem for the most part was winning that fight like I, you, know, you can say whatever you want in the end Overeem was the one doing the better work and he just hasn't had a second gear like to me the re again the reason why I kind of like this fight is because this is I'm not saying I'm not guaranteeing Almeida will win but it looks to me like the UFC is like aha we got something with this guy let's give him a tough test on the feet that we know like he can't answer but 
uh, a winnable fight in the grappling department, you know, you would imagine. And if he doesn't make any errors, you know, the kind of dumb ones that a guy who's not very good, if he can avoid those, he should win this one. And so they're kind of trying to see, like, is this a guy who's going to maximize his skill set or like fall prey to his own mistakes? I tend to think he's the former, not the latter. So it's a setup fight for him in that sense. I just don't I don't see where the promotional future is for him. I don't see what lane he can carve in terms of not he can beat good guys this fight to that fight. Like you can't ever really count him out, but you just can't seem to get behind a plan. Like draw a straight line from where he's at to the championship and show me how that works. Like it, yeah. it just there's too many things in the way for me to believe that that's actually a reasonable path. And and with with Almeida, sky's the limit it seems like, right? Dude, the sky is the limit. 31 years old from Brazil, 12-fight winning streak, has won all four UFC <laughs> fights, in addition, plus that Dana White contender win. Luke, of this 12-fight win streak, all 12 were stoppages, seven were by submission, including three under the UFC or Dana White contender series banner. Now, granted, look, he hasn't faced extremely high-level UFC competition. His best wins are, you know, Shamil Abdurakimov and Parker Porter. But this is that step up. This is that close up. This is that opportunity to beat a guy who's faced all the best, as you said, in Rosenstruck. And Luke, I am wrong. I was being a little bit, you know, dramatic in saying this card is better than the pay-per-view before and after it. This card also recently lost Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill, which has been substituted into that May 20th fight night main event opening that fell apart when Aldana Pennington too got canned because Pena had a pullout. Now Aldana's going to fight Nunes. And by the way, Amanda Nunes came out publicly and said Aldana had deserved it all along, not not Pena. We all said that same thing. But, um, you know, I think Mackenzie Dern's star power makes it lose a bit. But I do like this card up and down. And it's not just, I mean, I mean, look, we got D-Rod versus Ian Gary here. Like, this is a good-ass sort of like, oh, it's free, but. There's some killer fights on this thing. Maybe I'm. Yeah, maybe there's I'm some killer playing. fights on this one. So, we, so we talked about the main event again. There's not a really great storyline to me. It's the Jailton Almeida show. Can he make use of it? Can he not? Can Rosenstruck ruin the party? Can he, get, you know, extend his career a little bit? By, by, by the way, excuse me. We know that heavyweights age uh, more. He's 35, so that's definitely not old for heavyweight. But to your point, BC, the lack of evolution makes you think like, well. He's not physically out of it, but I don't know exactly what he's going to do to, to move the needle. Almeida, obviously, in a different position. Let's talk about that co-main event. Anthony Smith taking on Johnny Walker. Smith enters this contest, by the way, at 34 years of age, although he's got a lot of injuries, a lot of miles on him. Uh, having last fought against Magomed Ankalaev, BC, he fought three times in 2020, I think. Uh, two times in 2021. One time in 2022. And this will be, of course, his first fight in 2023, declining amount of activity, partly related to injury, partly related to some just bad luck along the way. Uh, by contrast, Johnny Walker enters this contest. He is just 31 years of age. BC two-fight winning streak over Ewan Kutelaba and Paul Craig, winning both of those inside of the first round after losing uh, four of his last five pre previous to that. Boy, I got to say, BC, the turnaround on Johnny Walker has been pretty nice. I just don't know how... It, I don't know if it will sustain itself. I remember after the Jamal Hill loss, we were like, man, Walker tried to retool his game, and it just did not go. And yeah. he has rebounded very nicely. And that Paul Craig win was also really nice. But BC, here's my question. He gets these wins in the first round, these explosive, amazing knockouts. You're like, God damn, he's good. And then the next fight after that, he'll have like a five-round stinker, and you'll be like, dude, where was that guy from the last fight? You know, so... 
Do you believe he has turned a corner or is it certain kind of fights will look good, certain kind of fights will look bad? Yeah, I'm going to give you one of those in-between yes and no answers. But the fuel of my answer, Luke, and which has been part of my criticism on his reinvention in Ireland there with John Cavanaugh and uh, SPG. Is he still there, Luke? Is that That's still a thing, right? Yeah, he's still there, yeah. Well, here's my issue with that. I, I get what they tried to do to him. You've got a dynamic offensive force, a physical specimen here. Somebody who's charismatic, somebody who can do a lot of things that I'll criticize because when he's dancing to the cage and gassing himself out ahead of a fight in which he gasses himself out, you sometimes have questions about the focus, the game plan, all of that stuff. I didn't like necessarily the let's completely change him into a grappler, which seemed part of the strategy and sometimes fuels what you said, which can be five round fights where he just looks out of sync. I think that's been the thing, an identity crisis. I don't think Johnny Walker is meant to be a complete fighter, a well-rounded fighter. I think he's one of those firecracker wild cards who you let him go out there and you let him be himself. He's going to get a lot of first round finishes. He's also going to get caught and stopped. Sometimes he's going to be on the verge of getting caught and stopped only to deliver the highlight real finish. I understand that committing to that being that. Does that have a long-term shelf life? Not necessarily. No. Does that, you know, are you going to lose fights where you, will be explosive in the first round, but you'll kind of gas out and, and, and expose yourself over time. Yeah, there is that potential. But Luke, what is his best way to win really big fights? Let's never forget that when this guy got shot out of the cannon and entered the UFC and was just finishing dudes one after another in 75 seconds, that he was a Corey Anderson a win away from fighting John Jones for the UFC light heavyweight title. That feels so long ago. But you know who he was back then when we were talking ourselves into the idea of like, what the hell would it actually look like if this guy got in there against John Jones? He was such a wild card because of that edge he had, that anything can happen anytime. He could pull out any strike out of nowhere. I think you need to bottle and harness that to a certain degree, but I think you also need to let that go and be a free spirit because that's how he can be the most dangerous he can be. To try to reinvent him, Luke, uh, I just, I mean, some guys can do that, some guys are meant for that. I just think he's meant to be a dangerous handful in the striking game, potentially. You can help round out certain areas, but I'm not looking for him to come in and shoot and be a threat on the ground. I'm looking for him to constantly be a threat that something jumping, spinning, or, or some wild shit can break out at any time. All right, so he had a decision win in the Contender Series. But if you want to talk just UFC fights, here are his wins. Khalil Roundtree, round one. Justin Ledette, round one. Misha Serkinov, round one. Ryan Spann, round one. Ian Kutelaba, round one. Paul Craig, round one. He only has wins in round one in the UFC. Yeah. That's it. To me, it's like if Smith can weather the storm, I, I honestly feel like and Smith, by the way, brings it a little bit early too. Like, here's a big question for me from Smith. Like, you saw this in the Teixeira fight. Remember, he went out there and just like took it to Glover in the first, like, I think two rounds. And you were like, God damn, Anthony Smith is dealing. But then he couldn't quite keep the pace. Glover began to make adjustments, and then the fight shifted all the way the other way around. You know, so I I wonder if Smith is going to try and fight fire with fire against Walker early. That seems inadvisable, but, you know, you can get pulled into fights um, like that. So to me, it's like if Smith can just slow the fight down, let this guy make mistakes, don't get caught up in anything too too ridiculous the win is there for the taking it seems oh, like no i think it's there in the second half as you're saying i mean let's go this is a five round main event this is a okay johnny walker's no no, no. this is co-main 
this is Coleman. Excuse me. Let me take that back. That does change the way I look at this, Luke. I I wonder if this could have been and should have been the main event, as I mentioned earlier. But at three rounds, it is a little bit different in terms of the idea of let's wait on Johnny Walker. I don't know if you can wait too long here, Luke. If this fight ends up being competitive and if Walker is showing more mature leaps in some of these areas, because, yeah, your point is to weather the early damage of of, of uh, Walker and then try to, I think, take him down, right? Don't you want to gas on this guy? Don't you want to make him less dangerous? These are areas that the veteran Anthony Smith could pull out this victory. And when we look at those odds that we, I think we established early, Luke, it's basically a pick minus 110 on both. This is a perfect style contrast. It's a bit of a crossroads. There's a lot at stake here for either man trying to stay in the title picture here in this interesting division. This resetted post John Jones light heavyweight era that I think like at times we thought it was maybe too barren and there was nobody there. Then suddenly it got exciting again and you maybe can overrate that. I still think it's a division for the taking, even though Jamal Hill showed us a lot against Glover and they look like they're making that Jamal Hill versus Prohatska rematch potentially Luke for August at UFC Boston, or maybe that's September, wherever mm-hmm. that, that you, that projected UFC card, the rumors are that that fight could be there. How far away do you think the Smith Walker winner is from that title conversation? Cause this is a big fight for both guys to stay in there because there is an unpredictability here at light heavyweight, like Jan's still lingering, but we've seen him crumble in big spots. Glover looks to be now done unless they can call him back for another title fight. And he just goes all in again. There seems to be a line to the top here if you can put something together. The problem is Smith has the loss to Ankalaev. Uh does, does Walker have a loss to Ankalaev? I can't even remember if he's fought him before. No, no I don't think so. Um, but, you know, these guys, I, I just, I, I suppose if one of them has a, like if Walker does something really exciting, or maybe even Smith too, there's a chance they could leapfrog. But I just feel like there's a bit of a, there's just an issue of a log jam at 205 with Yuri coming back and... Ankalaev still kind of having status, but not really figuring out how they're going to solve that. Blahovich is still there. There's too many guys in front of them with too much accomplishment for them to leapfrog in all likelihood. But one supposes that it could be possible, especially in the case of Walker, if he can build three wins in a row by, you know, yeah. some incredible kind of stoppage. Smith uh, is ranked fifth at the moment. Walker ranked seventh. Uh, Rakic is still at four trying to recover from injuries, if I believe I'm correct. Correct. I'd like to possibly, if we're going to end up seeing Hill versus Prohatska, which looks to be the direction, how about number two, Ankalaev versus number three, Blahovich, to figure out that draw? I know it's not going to be like a priority. Let me pull up my chair. That first fight under delivered in terms of expectations, but we kind of still need a winner out of that matchup to figure out the title picture moving forward, do we not? Yeah, we do. We do. I agree with that. It's still, like I said, this is more like get close to the number one contender, but not to become it. Uh, BC, you you indicated a main card, 170-pound contest. Daniel Rodriguez, D-Rod, is back. D-Rod, a little bit older, 36 years of age, for folks who don't realize that. Uh, he Coming off that loss to Neil Magny, although he had four wins before that, Mike Perry, Preston Parsons, Kevin Lee, and then uh, the leech, uh, Zhang Li. And then on the other side of the contest, Ian Machito Gary, who was undefeated out of, what what do they call him now, Killcliffe FC, 25 years of age, BC. And he had his best win in his last fight, I would argue, beating Keenan Song, stopped him in the third round with uh, punches. He's uh, 11-0 in this contest. BC, how do you see this one? Size it up for me. I love the timing of this matchup. Gary is, is starting to build that 
that fanfare and hype again. He did the McGregor, Vince McMahon, Billy strut after the last win, got a shout out from Connor. This seems like the escalation, the right matchup, because what D-Rod brings at this age is such a tough out. Look, it's like, you know, that 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 uh, Leach win was kind of disputed, and then I thought he was going to come in and beat Magny, and then he got subbed. So it's like D-Rod at this point has been a little bit like can't get out of the gear. We thought maybe there was a late mid to late 30s run for him after coming off of the layoff and the injuries, and he has put together wins heading into that last loss. But he is the perfect elite gatekeeper right now for us to find out if Gary's ready to make a huge leap or whether he needs either a challenging win or even a loss here in his growth at 11 and 0. Uh, the recent the victory over over uh, Song, as you mentioned, seemed to escalate what he's trying to build here. He's a dangerous striker. He can put things together. He's dynamic. There seems to be a, a plus factor to him, like he can jump through your screen with something you didn't see coming. He's going to have to earn it here in the striking game, which D-Rod doesn't make it easy. He hits hard. He's hard to pick up on. He's a good counter striker. He also can take your best punch and stand in there with you when he isn't moving his head and, and trying to, to, to keep you off base. Um, as we look at the odds at the moment there, Luke, plus 245, Daniel Rodriguez. Do you know, minus 295, Ian Gary. Here's the deal. I'd favor Gary. But minus 295 does seem a little bit big for how for how tough Daniel Rodriguez can be. Yeah, first of all, this is an open stance fight, right? Southpaw versus orthodox. So you're going to get, like, in this particular case, Gary is orthodox. Like, how many Southpaws is he accustomed to fighting, right? It's I mean, people always say, like, oh, Southpaw has an advantage. But mechanically, there is no advantage. There's a slight – you could argue that because the liver – of the uh, southpaw opponent is closer, it actually makes it hard. It makes makes it worse for the southpaw opponent. But the reason why southpaws tend to get so so much the better of of orthodox fighters is only because if you're a southpaw fighter, there aren't other many southpaw fighters to fight. You're mostly fighting orthodox. Whereas if you're an orthodox fighter, you're mostly just fighting other orthodox. So, what skills does Gary have in particular to take advantage of a very? And to your point, a very slick. Southpaw and Daniel Rodriguez, yes. the guy's got when good boxing. To. There's times that he'll just bite down and put the chin out there and give it. Sure. But when he wants to, he's not easy to, to to track down and pick up on. He lures you into the web, Luke, and takes advantage. Also, listen to these stats. This is somewhat unusual between them. So strikes landed per minute for D Rod seven point four two, very high, very high. For Ian Gary six point seven nine, also really high. Right, so it's very high numbers. Striking accuracy, Gary a little bit better, 56 to D-Rod's 50. Strikes absorbed, 5.22 for D-Rod, 4.19. Now, obviously, D-Rod's is higher. <sighs> Pardon me, I apologize. God bless you. Yeah, it's all right. D-Rod's is a little bit higher, but he's also fought much better competition, I would argue. So I think, you know, you have to have be somewhat understanding of that. And then striking defense, 56% for D-Rod, 52. In other words, their stats are more or less pretty close. Takedowns per 15 minutes for D-Rod, 0.63 for Ian Gary, Point three. It goes on and on. How about this? Takedown accuracy. They're both 50%. Takedown defense. They're both 63%. Yeah. So they're statistically very similar kinds of fighters. Again, in, in, in actual watching the tape, you can see the differences. What I mean to say is, let's see who can pull the other one out of their game. And I'm just pointing out a southpaw having to go up against an orthodox fighter who isn't necessarily got a real keen sense of how to deal with that. Could be a problem. Could be a problem. Absolutely. This is this is the the right type of pa uh, test that we kind of need Ian Gary to pass. I I even think it's a 
I'm surprised by two things. I think it's a quick escalation in the matchmaking between a guy like Keenan Song and now Daniel Rodriguez. I don't even think you hold that that loss to Magny hugely against him. He's going to be who he is. He's a tough ass out. But again, to see him at plus 245, Luke, okay, bet. Yeah, I might. I might, dude. I might. All right, yeah, okay. I completely agree, I completely I agree with with. I don't the, have a great that. track record in betting, but I might, you know? The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast um okay and then also on this card we see tim means as an underdog against alex morno alex morno out of fortis mma kind of like an everyman fighter in certain ways very well trained very uh, good uh good student of martial arts and i think is becoming the better the best fighter i've seen him be up to this point tim means kind of on his last legs a little yeah. bit i think uh on his career but has had a pretty good one just the same and bc this is super sloppy special logo on your next card next fight you're about to talk about luke matt brown court mcgee yeah dude like to put salute we like it extra sloppy here dude this is a bunch of old brawlers getting together right well, yeah, I guess I have a lot of respect. I, mean, I have a lot of respect for Court McGee, but I have a whole lot of respect for Matt Brown. He's been really just a phenomenal fighter to cover. His, I can't believe his record at 23 and 19. He's nearly 500, but it just feels like the wins are so much more significant than any of the losses, personally speaking. But, you know, I've got my own biases, I'm sure. Yeah, Matt um, Brown, he, a plus 175 underdog, though. That surprises me a little, Luke. There's some, he, there's some old guy plus money potential there, right? 
Yeah, the thing is, he had the two losses to Miguel Baeza and Carlos Condit in 2020 and 2021. But then the win over Diego Lima in 2021 at the end there was like amazing, right? Slashing right cross. And then he just looked a little bit. He looked, he looked, listen, excuse me, I should say, Matt Brown is 42. He looked 42 in his last yeah. fight against Brian Barbarina. Brian Barbarina also massively improved. So I think there's a little bit of trepidation because Court McGee had looked old for a while. And then obviously he lost to Jeremiah Wells in his last fight. But I think he's had a couple of okay performances before that. So how old is Court McGee? Court McGee currently stands 38 36. years of age. 38, yeah, so wow. Damn. 38. Yeah, 38 versus 42. So it's not the youngest fight. 80 years old between the two of them. Um, but it's a fun one just the same. Yeah, Luke, we also have some sound here from uh, Anthony Smith and our friend uh, Shaquille Missouri of CBS Sports. Did you see that, Luke? We did, I, although Mikey kind of talked me out of playing it. We can play one of them. We can play the Anthony Smith to Shaq on Johnny Walker if Mikey wants to play that one. We can react to it very quickly. Shave and a haircut. I'd play the BC one. Okay, I guess he wants to play the BC one. There we are. Play that one, please. What do you love most about Morning Combat co-host Brian Campbell? What do I love most? <laughs> I love that as much trash as he does tend to talk, he has no problem fessing up to it in person. Well, we were at the an award show one time, and he, it, I always knew it was very jokingly, but it was also like he was, he was definitely trash talking, and he came up to me to make sure that like, Hey, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying this stuff behind a camera and that I won't, I won't talk to you about it in person. And it honestly, I like Brian Campbell a lot. I now it's just a, a big fun poke at him, but um, he had no problem. Like he had no idea whether I was going to punch him in the face or not. He had no problem coming up to me and, and being a man about it. Wow. Wow. I didn't expect that Luke. Wow. They don't normally put man and BC in the same sentence, but <laughs> right? yeah. Okay. Good job. Good job with that. Uh, BC. We love that guy. Friend of the program. Come on, Luke. We love that guy. We do. We do love that guy. BC, let's move this conversation. If oh, By the way, Carlos Ulberg taking on Ihor Potieria. I believe that's going to open the main card at 205. Carlos Ulberg, a substantial favorite at minus 410, if you can believe that. Good Lord. Uh, but okay. BC, let's talk about point number three here. The state of the UFC product. So I actually tweeted it out. I got a lot of responses. I was pretty interesting. And the question for the audience and for you, and I want to set it up a little bit if I can, is what is your current grade for the state of the UFC's product, basically? As a consumer, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like you're getting the fights you want to see? Do you feel like it's the right amount of events? Do you feel like the cards are delivering, you know, fight to fight, week to week, that kind of a thing? Everyone's going to have different answers. But here's why I bring it up, BC. Because I just don't know if they're having they're, they're having it seems to me trouble filling out the rosters of these cards. So, for example, you mentioned Dern Hill was on this card; they had to move it to its own main event for one of the Apex cards. Don't forget that uh, Song Simon got Simo, or Ricky Simone got moved to the main event in a similar kind of capacity. Uh, Kai Car France and uh, Albazi got moved and then ended up making. A, a main event for I think an Apex card, but San Hagen Vera got moved, I believe, as well. Like you can go, and that's not even talking about co-main events. They're having to shuffle stuff by taking it off of certain bigger cards, and in certain cases, putting it on smaller cards. And that's not totally true, but it's true in a lot of different cases. Then on top of it, you hear complaints about not just the Apex itself or the quality of the Apex cards, but the prices around the premium yeah. events. Because they are premium events. You can tell that they're pretty good, but the costs have been astronomical. BC, 
Give me a consumer's take, if you can, on the state of the UFC's product. I'm a little nervous this calendar year, to be very honest with you. And it's not just that we came into the calendar year with very negative headlines. And to remind people just five months ago, we did. You had the the continuation of the fighter pay syndrome tied into as well. What you know? What will Francis Ngannou do? What will the UFC do heading into that big negotiation? That obviously, the waters got I think spit in and muddied and pissed on more when UFC was so aggressive and still are in promoting power slap, which you know, in our opinion, is sort of a, a pun intended slap in the face to not only the integrity of elite martial arts by rolling out a sport such as that, but by using the vehicle of the UFC's promotional machine to do that on, you know, w- without shame, unabashedly, aggressively, you tie in Dana White's domestic issue with the lack of response from the parent company. And now you slide in a few months later to, to really surprising news a few weeks back with the parent company Endeavor buying the WWE and what's that going to mean moving forward. And I think along the way, what we've had this year, and it's not as if we hadn't in different major UFC years going back a decade, we've had periods of slower matchmaking where we talk about the watered down aspect of the sport. Anytime there's a new TV deal and there's more dates to fill, you can pick up that narrative. In 2017, Luke, it was, is the UFC's pay-per-view stars done after McGregor and Rousey exited and suddenly it felt like we needed a hero? But things happen in waves, you know, like the housing market, Luke. But I think this first this first five, six months here, this calendar year as a whole, whether you believe any of those negative topics really matter at the end of the day. If you're a fan that just says, I don't care what these guys are being paid. I don't care how many power slap videos there are. I don't care about Rumble. I don't care about any of that bullshit. Saturday nights, I want my fights and I'm willing to pay for them. I think at the end of the day, Luke, that's also becoming a distressing trend. We are seeing... The, the watered down era at the moment across the board of the cards, not just, oh, we're putting a McGregor on this pay-per-view, which has been the trend, right? If you have a super expensive person in the main event of a pay-per-view, we kind of know you're going to get a weak card down the line. Unfortunately, I think that's becoming a trend across the board. And if you do connect the dots on a deeper level, if you are into the business side of this for how much these, these, these heroes, I call John S. Nash, Luke, a hero. The guys who behind the scenes are just trucking to give us truth in how these some of these decisions are made, how negotiations go, how the contracts work. And my guy at MMAI on YouTube just put out a tremendous video in the last 24 hours about uh, that he, he believes the six days that changed MMA when Nganu was negotiating, you know, to come back and fight Jones and it all fell apart and all the all the fallout from there. I do think right now it's all connected. And I think what we're seeing across the board is a lean into a more watered down product that goes beyond the, oh, hey, we're in the ESPN era, which means there isn't as much onus on the UFC to hammer out and fill up these pay-per-view cards with can't miss fights from top to bottom. We already know that and accept that. UFC is looking to fulfill its yearly amount of dates for ESPN come hell or high water, even if the if COVID gets in the way. We've seen that, right? Because that's the chunk of the money coming in. My larger issues as just a consumer, but also a educated journalist slash consumer slash fan is where is it all heading? Are we getting weaker cards because Endeavor also just bought WWE and now there's going to be a lot of money to pay off? And it just feels in general like UFC is in a season of trying to maximize profits, which is business. That's what big businesses do. But doing it, Luke, 
one in almost a shameless manner, but two at every single turn. And I think it goes deeper than couldn't have those sponsorship monies have gone to the fighters instead of the promotion. It goes way deeper than that. I think across the board, you're seeing a watered down of the product that is scaring me as a hardcore boxing fan who sees on the regular, how that disrupted unorganized sport with so many cooks in the kitchen and no, you know, you know what I mean? What is, what is the UFC's true shining value in opposition to the boxing uh, model? The fact that they are organized, the fact that they have certain leverage over fighters, whether we believe that leverage is fair or not, and they make the fights we want to see on the regular. Are you still getting that from a main event level? Yes. I mean, dude, what can we say about Volkanovski versus Yair Rodriguez? It's like this dream unification can't miss fight. We're still getting those. But week to week, the quality of the fight night cards are going down. The fight night cards continue to be in the apex for reasons that only seem to line up with saving money. They're jacking up ticket prices and trying to put people in their home markets to try to drive up every possible dollar and interest in those areas. Maybe that means nothing to you, but I'm getting a little nervous at the trend across the board mixed in with how I'm starting to see some of these experts online teach us about how this business really works. The development of the Dana White Contender Series and what that has done to watering down contracts at the even, you know, at the bare bones basic level bringing people in at such a low value to begin with. Now we're just seeing fight cards week to week filled with low value Dana White contender series alumni who are going to come in hungry as hell to make nothing to fight like hell to prove themselves so they can hopefully one day join that 1%. And I think it's contributing whether the Endeavor WWE pickup actually matters in that equation or not. It's contributing to something I don't like to see the sport going a little bit in the wrong direction in the promotion from the standpoint of consistent value. But I think more importantly, and I do think it's tied in Luke, we're seeing how the sausage is made on the inside because the UFC is getting to a level where that's starting to become unavoidable. They went from Fox now to ESPN. They are a, you know, publicly traded billion dollar company. Like there are certain things now that we're starting to see how contracts are put together, how the negotiation works. Luke, I always shout out MMAI, not because I'm in debt to him or I, you know, hope to make out with him one day. I don't even know what the guy looks like. All right. So at least let me find that out first before I decide on that. But I'll say guys like him and Nash and in MMAI's recent video, they're showing us something. Here's a quote from that video. It's just a quote that's unconnected to anything in the moment. But to me, it speaks on a large value. He's talking about the way UFC is treated in Ghana. But here's the quote. This reeks of spite rather than business logic. I think I'm seeing a combination of too much like cutthroat spite business tendencies mixed with the watering down of the product. Like if this is just business and that's the way it is, then that's what it is. Fighters do need to smarten up. We know that they need to join together, which is difficult. But Luke, I also see a, like the UFC lies seemingly about everything lately. And maybe this is just how they operate. It's cutthroat business. It's negotiation. Joe Silva used to do the same thing. Now it's Hunter Campbell and Dana. It's the same thing as, you know, the Lorenzo era into now. But I think across the board, there's this feeling of disingenuousness when the UFC speaks publicly that I don't think echoes everyone in the organization, but is becoming this cloud and this stigma that's following us out of this Nganu situation, the way fighters are being treated and now playing into how these big fights are negotiated or maybe not negotiated, that I think in general, the turn of the new year into the first six months of this 2023, I got a lot of questions and concerns moving forward. And um, 
You know, like, like, look, nobody wants to hear anymore about Dana slapped his wife and Endeavor didn't talk about it. But to me, all of this stuff is connected. I don't know if I really know right now as a consumer who the UFC really is and really trust them. Are they still giving me the bang for the buck Saturdays? Most Saturdays. But across the board, I don't like this direction. And I think when you climb and UFC as a brand has climbed so loud, so high, dude, more is required on that level, more transparency, more of a lot of things. And I think they're still trying to operate in the old school mom and pop. Let's hang out in the desert and do what we want way that is starting to expose itself across the board as being a little bit gross. And again, if that doesn't affect the product, then it doesn't matter. Here's my point. It's starting to affect the product that I see. Help me. Uh, I, d I agree with most of it, but let me just play devil's advocate because you're obviously very passionate about the issue. So if I said, okay, here's what I don't understand. They're setting records from a live gate standpoint, which I realize part of that is just because they're selling it at a higher price. But nevertheless, they are meeting these incredible thresholds. They have the vast majority of the world's talent. Like they lost Francis and Ganu, but in general, they've got somewhere around 80% of it. That's been true for some time. Their market position has only grown. How can those things be true and then the product getting worse? What is the mechanism that's making the product worse? Walk me through actually that part. Okay, I, I, on the surface, I think they're watering down the matchmaking. I think whether it is a purposely trying to bring down the price of the cards, let's load up these cards with as many Dana White Contender Series alums that are managed by the same four or five managers who are all in cahoots with Dana and all have this funnel system. Uh, if you watch MMAI's videos, and he seems to be very fact-checked of, of we can't get to the UFC anymore unless we sign with this manager and go through this feeder promotion and get to this point, that I'm seeing more of a watered down, and I'm also seeing, um, look, we're, it used to be every card sort of had two bangers, especially if it was a pay-per-view card. I think we're seeing more consistently one banger or one and a half. And again, is that speaking to trying to bring down the price in every possible metric while raising the price and every other to try to, you know, constantly keep the, the financial flow coming in, maybe again, to help out what's going on in the WWE sale, or maybe not. But first and foremost, Luke, I'm seeing weaker cards across the board. That is troubling me. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these responses, my God, man, like people are, people are upset. Can I just read a few of these tweets to say this is sure. So here's what I asked to put my cards on the table. I, this is exactly what I wrote. Quote, how satisfied are you with the current UFC product? Are you getting the fights you wanted? The right amount of events, yes or no? We'll discuss on the state. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss on basically today's morning combat. Here are some of the responses. Um, if I was still paying for pay per views, this person writes, I'd be pissed. In 2020 and 21, I bought every single one. Then they jacked up the price, and I was done. Nothing I hate more than feeling taken advantage of. Next. More than enough events. Lately, I find myself caring less and less about random fight night cards. Next one. I think the product is at a historic low in terms of quality. Here's another. Um, I used to have a group of friends who wouldn't miss a UFC for anything. Same group of friends now has less than casual interest in the UFC. Cards used to be stacked. They used to be build and market stars better. Oversaturation has hurt them, in this person's opinion. Uh, I skip events. This person writes, let me just read a couple more, and then I want to react. This person well, they're writes, not motivated honest... to make stars. You know that, right? They're like they're not motivated anymore to have stars. Right, I get it. Jose, honestly, getting pretty bored. This person writes, fast forwarding a lot of fights and skipping events. I have not felt this way since I started watching in 2010. And then, lastly, this one really caught my attention. It just feels like they are on autopilot. I think that yes. to me is the one yes. that really gets it. It's not like the product is bad, but it Look, doesn't me, feel like there's. Okay, go ahead. Let me set you up because. 
if you're a hardcore fan and you're and there are a lot of these, right? That's why people are coming so aggressively at Francis, whether they have the facts or truth or not. It's sort of like you're the one that fucked up. You left us. People are always going to be so happy with the brand that they're going to defend everything. But Luke, not only are we seeing watered down fights across the board, it's the trend that's disturbing especially when you come from boxing. It's this is the beginning of how you get there where it's only about money. And, and you could say it if you're one of those hardcore fans of like, oh, you're just spoiled. You've had it too great with the UFC for too long. Well, yes, because that's what's made the UFC great for too long. They're the opposite of the disjointed boxing model. They can make any fight they want. They are bringing in money left and right in so many categories and metrics. They are allowed to expand and put up PIs in Mexico and China and try to find the next great superstars and go to Africa one day. They're doing all these big things. But when the week to week starts to suffer, Luke, it goes beyond, I don't really care about this Petty and Ganu thing, even though when I peel it back, it seems to be so disingenuous and a constant straight lie. So let me spin that back on you, Luke, and, 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 and set you up. Like, is this fueled by my emotion of my dislike about how fighters are treated? And also, the more we fact check Dana, the more we find out right now that it just feels like he is checked out. He's all into power slap. He's all into presenting narratives about fight negotiations that are untrue. Or is this all actually true? And that's enough reason to kind of put your hand up and be like, I know where UFC was and it was awesome. We're going away from that every day. Every single day we're going away from that in some degree. All right. I have, I won't say mixed feelings about this, but I have, what I would say is I largely agree with everyone's sentiment, but with one maybe slight caveat that I do think is important to pay attention to. And I want to start actually with the caveat, namely, this is the second time during my fan slash media life of MMA where I have seen a ton of complaints around oversaturation. And it happened around 2013, 2014 previously. And there were great concerns about the way the product was going because the fight night cards were getting worse and worse. And for example, I, I, for example, I remember when, when UFC was making a big push, they had seven shows, I think, in 2014 in Brazil. In one of those places, it was in a place called Uberlandia. That's a real spot that they went to. You're like, why the fuck are they going there? And it just didn't make a lot of sense. But then what I noticed happened, because we, we were like, ratings were declining in certain ways anyway. Um, the pay-per-view numbers had sort of come back to earth. They had a lot of injuries at the time. You were like, man, they're just trying to serve too many masters. But then by 2015, 2016, we had the Connor Ronda era, and it just boomed it back again. I bring this all up to say I have seen what happens when the UFC hits this spot. The last time I saw them do it, they had this massive reinvention by virtue of these other stars that kind of, you can argue, bailed them out, happened to find their way. UFC did a great job promoting them, whatever you want to say. But certainly Connor, Connor and Ronda really began to take off in a dramatic way, right in a way to challenge all of that oversaturation. New fans came in and it just felt like all of those problems went away. Here we are again. Is something like that really possible? I, to your point, BC, I, I, I have some concerns because the, be, because of the way that the business works and they have taken out the star power volatility, most notably in contractual revenue and certainly in the way in which they've done and structured their pay-per-views such that they don't need that kind of star to boost their fortunes in order to make the kind of money that they want to make um, in, a, in a very guaranteed kind of way. But I do recognize everyone else's complaints. Uh, I recognize that if you try to be loyal to the UFC product week to week to week, it can be 
a lot of stuff that's just not very high quality, a lot of stuff that's just not very interesting, a lot of stuff that is indistinguishable from an LFA product, a lot of stuff that just doesn't look all that great. To me, I think the common denominator here is, one, they've changed their behind-the-scenes business practices, as I mentioned, to go to more contractual revenue. But more than that, they are just... I watched UFC have to compete to kill off the IFL. I watched them have to compete to kill off uh, Elite XC and Affliction. I watched them co-promote. I watched them get out there and just make yeah, they fights. They bought Strikeforce. They were like, that's our rival. We're going to buy them. Right. You know what I mean? But like, I, I watched them compete on a certain level to win those battles, and they did. They're just not competing to me anymore. Sure. The business is so large and so entrenched, and the uh, methods of revenue generation are so fixed that there's just nothing that can really challenge the market but for the Ali Act or a unionization or whatever. Like, what else can another player do to change the equation of remember of all uh money made in the entire mma industry ufc makes 90 percent of it what is another what can another promoter do to meaningfully alter that equation what can a fighters do to meaningfully alter that equation short of intervention from the law the yeah. answer is probably nothing that's the sort of alarming part Here's an issue that I don't think people talk about because not everybody cares about this side of it. And I know if I make any WWE comparison, people are going to tune me off. But I think it matters here, Luke. UFC, a key to their success in a lot of ways, has always been keeping the brand strong. You can always argue that Dana White is the face of UFC and the last 20 years of history more at a higher level than Rousey, McGregor, Lesnar, Silva, St. Pierre have ever been, right? And that some of that seems... Strat, you know, strategic, always keeping sort of the fighters at a certain level of you know control that we have above them. Also, the UFC brand and even Dana with his look and the bald head, it's kind of timeless. You know, you're always like, oh, the brand's always going to be there. It's always going to be high level fights and Dana's always going to be at the front of it. But to your point about the motivation they may have, we all got behind Hungry Dana because he was fighting to take this sport that we all love and make it as mainstream and legitimate as possible. And even if you didn't fully agree with his fight, it was easy to get behind him when we you know, I mean, look, you've met him before on probably pretty sure. decent terms earlier in your career. He used to be great to meet back then, take pictures with you to talk to you off the record, offline and all that. But now he's still the face of it ahead of everyone else, but he's checked out and he's a different person. His motivations are different. And now to this larger point I'm making, when you actually dig into the things they say publicly and the proof and facts we have, Unfortunately, dude, I hate to say this, they're lying most of the time at almost every turn, it seems. So they feel very disingenuous. So why do I set that up? Because at the end of the day, whether you're watching pro wrestling or you're watching real fighting, to me, there's two things that sell the fight game and always have. One is stars and two is storylines. Why is everybody praising BKFC for their recent success? Even Connor in the cage, what did they bring up right away? matchmaking and storylines. They get you in the building to care about the stupid bare knuckle matchup between washed UFC names that aren't even the same division, right? Like they, they won, they captured that. In golf, Luke, if you don't have that star that is Tiger Woods, what percentage of the audience do they, do they lose? It's like dramatic, right? Stars matter. Yeah, I mean, matter. it's a huge proportion, yeah. 
Right now in this era, UFC does not have the financial motivation to have stars, to make crossover stars. What did they used to do 10 years ago? I'll tell you because I was working at ESPN at the time and I was the only combat sports person based in Bristol. If they got a surprise new champion, like when Chris Weidman beat Silva, they ran him into ESPN, Luke, like three times in like a six-month span to try to get him on every show and do every interview. and get. They were in the business of building up fighters. You would get behind fighters. Now they not only are not in the business of building up fighters, and a lot of times they're in the business of publicly negotiating against your favorite fighters and telling you why your favorite fighter isn't as talented or valuable. So that's one thing. The other thing is the storylines. Luke, I stumbled back into pro wrestling in 2015 in a way I never imagined I would. I hadn't been serious about it since like the late 90s, early 2000s, like everybody else. But I went to a live show. I was overwhelmed at the increase in athleticism and in storylines compared to what I was used to. And I was like, man, this doesn't suck anymore. In fact, it's pretty good. Somehow that led me stumbling into being a super fan and actually journalist again for a few years. And I had a lot of fun. But what ran me out of that? The elite promotion, similar to the UFC that held, you know, 90 percent, you know, control of the whole industry was WWE. And they hit a point in like 2018 ish where the writing just got really bad again. Storylines didn't matter. There were incomplete storylines from one hour to the next or one show to the next. And Luke, what that does to you is after a while, you're saying if they don't care about connecting the dots and creating this larger story that makes sense and has a payoff, why do I care on that same level? Am I wrong, Luke, or is there an issue right now with storytelling in the UFC? How do you feel storytelling? One, through promotion, Two, making the fights people care about, but three, committing to telling that story. I don't think there's a great commitment right now to UFC promotional storytelling. And on top of that, I think there's an actual purposeful stiff arming on we don't want these guys to be superstars because then we got to pay them more. And in fact, yeah. we're going to stomp on them publicly at every turn to show them who's boss. So what do you have right now? You have a heavyweight division with a disjointed storyline. Because the best heavyweight is sit in idle trying to get a big payday elsewhere and not fighting John Jones, which he could have for the last three years when seemingly everybody was willing and able, except for the UFC to sign off financially. So you can pick sides on the Engano thing all you want. But before you do, watch the MMAI video. Watch these things again. Go back and actually investigate. Look, they're almost, you know, turning against their stars to again, at every turn, try to save a buck or try to advance things corporately or business-wise in the future for them. And what has been sacrificed? The commitment to matchmaking week to week, but even bigger, the commitment to storytelling, which when done right, produces what? Stars and things that go beyond. Look, how do you bring in the big pay-per-view audience? You're not bringing in hardcore fans. They're already here. It's getting the casual fans because of what? either a great fight they saw and they want to see that guy again or an incredible personality like a McGregor that just came in there and they're like, oh shit, man, I'll follow that guy anywhere. Look, when you're actively, when you're actively competing against your own fighters to keep them down and then you're going around the back and actually lobbying against any potential control they have and you're essentially lying about most of them and lying about the status of the negotiations at every turn, you are pissing in your own cooking pot luke really you are this stuff matters over time in ways that corporate guys sitting at the war room table figuring out business futures don't think about but it matters that's how you keep fans loyal for year after year after year to the same brand 
Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to add. I think it's all well said. I just one thing I want to remind folks about it, it's an analogy. I, 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 BC, you hate it when I say this, but it really did change my perspective a little bit. I remember the first time I went to Spain, they have these little restaurants everywhere. Uh, they've got these little spots everywhere you can go. And I remember going into them and being blown away at the quality of the food because we kind of associate small with like, you know, taco truck, which is, which is tasty, but not like gourmet. And it, I couldn't believe it. And so I, my brother and my sister uh, had a restaurant at the time. And I asked them, like, how does that model work? And what they actually explained was that's the model to get quality, right? The model is have a kitchen staff that's not tasked with doing a lot other than making high quality stuff for a small amount of people every night. That's the way you get the most. And they were like, that's why banquet food is like, you know, it tastes fine, but never really great because it's made yeah. at scale. We're at the banquet food state. That's really what we've got. Like when well, you say that the UFC steakhouse prices, we're charging, charging steakhouse prices. prices. That's right. That's exactly right. Like the idea is like, for example, like people people complain about the UFC doesn't promote. It's like, well, they still do. Like they 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 reach out to media for interviews. They have press conferences. They have the countdown show that comes out the week before. And if you actually compare that to what other promotions are doing, in some ways, it's even more. The problem is everything feels like it's just on an assembly line at the moment. Like for example, I remember when. The UFC announced the world tour for McGregor and Aldo. It was exciting. It was new. It was different. It was another level above. And you really felt like they were leaning in to do everything they could. And they did. And it worked. It was, it, it all kind of worked in the end. Um, now, Connor's a special case, but everyone gets the idea. The point I'm trying to make is I just don't get the sense any of that is really happening or they feel like the need for that uh, is happening. It feels like all that extra attention that could be going into that is going into, you know, making sure the contender series runs in the way that it's supposed to and also slap. Let's get slap. I'm still getting emails about that uh, from UFC staff, which is just fucking mind-blowing. So, you know, I, I don't really have a good answer for you because people think, oh, well, consumer revolt will change this. It would take substantial, substantial fan drop-off for, I think, that to make even a dent. when you When you've got a monopoly like this, they run the show. It's either watch MMA or don't. And um, that's a tough choice for a lot of people. It's the last I prefer Monsopsony. But Luke, quickly back to my question on storyline. I, I could hear people groaning and being like, enough with that fake force bullshit. How about this? Do you know what F's up storylines? When you drop in an unnecessary interim title, when the champion is healthy and the next contender is waiting, when you, um, you know, tell lies publicly about, fighters wants or, or or not wants to 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 win titles when colby covington is getting jammed into a title opportunity when nobody believes he des deserves it but nobody actually wants that fight on top of it i just think look there's their, their eye is off the ball in some key aspects of what the fan truly wants and all those de decisions are now being trumped for what's the best financial move for the parent company long term I don't think mm -hmm. you can argue against that. Those decisions are being made on the regular across the board. So when Dana White's your face of your company and your biggest star, and he's fighting for the sport to make the best matchups, you can get behind that, even though it's not great for the fighters when the promoter is the face of it. But when the promoter is the face of it, and you can't trust a single word coming out of his mouth, talking about his own product or talking about the social media numbers of slap, that they're larger than every other major sport combined and we've paid a third party independent to track this on the dark web and also i've purchased an island we've bought an island i mean luke what the hell's going on anymore like there's never been a time arguably 
where we have questioned more publicly what Dana's true value to the company is. And maybe behind the scenes we're wrong and he's way more valuable to the engine and how it moves forward aggressively than we could ever say. But in terms of a public, what his what his words represents as the brand, I also don't think it's been a worse time for the company and how much damage he's constantly doing. Is that overblown, Luke? Is that us, the media against Dana and some war that we won't get around? Or is that the truth? Is he is he pissing on his own product left and right to a level now that that I don't think is best for business anymore? Um, I think it's a little more debatable these days than it used to be. The the argument around Dana used to be different. So the argument about Dana being a problem used to go as follows. He has such a gruff way of being, not just with not just with using, you know, uh, curse words or these sort of like bombast and this angry shouting that he would do. Folks thought that that would be a turnoff to the polite business world in the end. And in the end, the polite business world simply looked the other way. They actually did not care at least not much publicly, maybe privately they care, but in a public way. So that argument turned out to not be true. It turned out to not be true. And he survived. Now it's a different argument because before it was, okay, he's got this great passion for the sport and for the brand, but does he have these this baggage? And it turned out, as I mentioned, the baggage simply never mattered, which was a surprise because it would have mattered to anyone else. It just didn't matter for him. Uh, now the argument is, well, that baggage doesn't seem to matter, although there's a different kind of baggage with the whole New Year's Eve thing with his wife. But beyond that, to your point, is he actually even invested in the product anymore? Does he even care anymore? Does he have the same passion for it that he once did? That's a separate kind of question. Um, the idea to me that he's doing damage by pissing on his fighters to the public, the public doesn't understand anything about fight sports. I think they're very inclined to believe him. So when you say doing damage, it's like the question is damage or not. The, the, the question is rather, is he entrenching the UFC's position with the broader sporting market when he says things like that or not? I actually think that he is. So I, I don't really answer it the same way you kind of asked it. I, don't, I just don't think that those kinds okay. of things are baggage. The question is, does he effectively promote the brand uh, in a way that like would a rising tide lifts all boats. Certainly in some ways, yes, but in a lot of other ways, it's us or them, and he pulls the meet the public onto his side, or I should say the brand side against yeah, I mean, maybe, the fighters. Maybe we're too deep in the waters. Maybe we care about things on such a level of, of fine print that the average fan doesn't because they just want their fights at the end of the day, and maybe Dana's still that right mascot. I just think, Luke, at this point, it, it I mean, it used to be a joke that you couldn't trust everything that Dana says, but there was a wink in that that most fight promoters have that used car salesman side of them that they're going to do that sometimes in the in the favor of drumming up business or or minimizing obvious issues i just think there's a there's there's a, he's driven by such spite that if you actually turn over those leaves and dig into what's really going on and try to form for yourself a true opinion i just think he's doing more damage for the reputation of the brand and the sport than ever before in that regard. And maybe that doesn't matter to you. Maybe again, fighter pay and all that stuff. You're like, look, fighters unionize or shut up. I get that. But look, mm -hmm. we are, there's just facts that are being put out on the regular that just seem like straight lies. Does that catch yeah, up eventually? Uh, mo I, most I, MMA news is fake news. It's not real news at all. So so how much has the UFC, uh, the UFC ESPN deal, which obviously changed the way that they strategize financially to 
to the success of pay-per-views and what that means. We already covered that. But how much has that quieted in your eyes, potentially ESPN, the editorial arm, from exposing some of these larger business practices and realities oh. that the guys under the shadows, like the John S. Nashes and the MMA eyes are doing anyway. But like, I don't know. It feels like Dana does get a free pass in that area from the, from the world leader in that regard. Yeah. I mean, there's just simply no denying. I saw, I read, I, I heard an interview years ago that Jimmy Pitaro did with Bill Simmons talking, it, it, Bill Simmons had uh, asked basically that question around the NBA and because they were rights holders, and I think they still are rights holders to certain NBA games and, and playoffs or whatever. And so the question was, you know, if you're a rights holder, like how much is your uh, journalism arm going to be powered to do these kinds of things? I would say that, like, there's, listen, one of the worst things for media is the fact that it's corporate controlled, and that's true in sports media, just the same. It's once you have, understand every, all the corporations work together, right? Not like in a, I got a you know, there's a smoky room, everyone's smoking cigars. But remember, like a media company wants to be able to get access to if you if you promote media, if you are if you have journalists or media members, you want them to get access to certain things. You want to be able to sell ads and advertising and packages. And a lot of those advertisers in the MMA space or the boxing space, they work hand in hand with the promoter. So if the promoter doesn't like you, the brand's going to go to someone else and then still work with that promoter and then a different media entity. I've seen that happen numerous times. Like this idea that like ESPN is going to be in a good position to tell the truth about the UFC's business practices, they're going to be in the worst position. They're going to be in the very, very worst. And I know, you know, Mark Ramundi and like Jeff Wagenheim and like Brad Okamoto, they do, I think they do the best that they, again, I think they're good people doing the best that they can with the job that they have. Love but the corporate guys, structures, the they're all great, but the corporate structures in place are simply not going to allow them to tell the kind of stories that MMAI uh, or other folks um, say. It's just, it's just the reality of it. So that's why you need to have a very diverse media diet when in sports or in other places just the same all right so luke at the end of the day some of that stuff we just talked about and complained about to other people are just sort of an ad nauseum of stuff they don't care about people do care about the quality of the product do you see that increasing in the second half of 2023 decreasing staying the same does it matter are there long-term effects on on the watering down here long-term potentially long-term there are some i mean the problem is this is why ultimately nothing other than the force of law will change anything i don't believe is what they've done is they still have the high-end side right it's like again they lost francis but in general they still have the high-end side what they've done is they've kind of watered that down a little bit but then they've expanded the notion of the product and then watered the rest of it down to an extraordinary degree so what i think it's going to do is it's just going to force um people to be much pickier about what they actually watch or don't but the UFC, I think, is happy to do that because if they can still get you for the big ones that they care about, if they can still get you to sign up for the subscription model, like think about the UFC's, what they're trying to do in ESPN too. If they can get you to sign up for the subscription thing, yes, they want you to watch, but they've already got your money for the year or the yeah. month. They've already got it. So they're they're working in a transaction that inoculates them from some of these like, did this event sell? Did that event get watched? They don't have those same event-to-event -event concerns, and as a consequence, I mean, I think you see the, the results speak for themselves. You know? Yeah, and to close, if they if it was financially hard times for the sport, financially hard times for the promotion, it would be easier to justify and accept some of these changes to the quality of the product, but when the bottom line is only going up at such a rapid rate and the, and the, the funding streams coming in are only going up and the quality is going down, 
that's when you stop morning combat for 40 minutes and have this discussion. That's just where it is, Luke. Okay. You know, either that or you don't care and let's move on. I care, but I think we've done enough of uh, conversation conversation around that this time. And again, Dern versus Hill will headline the May twentieth UFC event in Las Vegas. Yikes, I actually don't mind bro, that, but people yikes. seem to mind that. I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't hate the fight, but as a as a headliner, that as a headliner, yeah, just it's not a great headliner. But I do. I'm happy for Angela Hill. I will say that I'm happy for Angela Hill. All right, BC. Let's react quickly to this. So there was the Paul Diaz press conference yesterday in Dallas, and it was something i'm not sure what to say about it. i mean listen here's my read on the whole thing bc i'm glad diaz is getting a bag i am i don't know how big that bag is going to be but my man earned his freedom he beat ferguson on the way out the door after the ufc tried to okie doke the whole thing he's got this thing coming up he's going to get some good coin for this no matter what two thumbs up for me on that but the presser it just it didn't look great. It looked like they were kind of in like a Home Depot, like a warehouse kind of thing. It just had yeah, a they weird were in the look American Airlines Center, Luke. Okay, all right, which is a fine facility, but I'm just saying the way it was shot, it looked it looked weird. Not it didn't look Nate terrible. Nate wanted but to it didn't know where great. the fans were. Nobody seemed to answer that, Luke. Nate wanted to okay, know well, why. why would that we... was the part, but this is the part I actually liked. I actually liked that. Uh, there weren't fans there. Again, if you're going to have fans there, it's not a press conference. Call it some, call it a pep rally. Okay, call, Luke, that's call what a... gives the the fans being there and their potential reaction to questions, which okay. could be too this much. This is why this is why we deserve bad press. Is for answers like this. This is why we deserve the jackoffs who we have to answer, ask questions around. I'm just saying, like, no one actually wants to do the job that is the job. They want to. I agree with Nate that if he, with it. it would have felt bigger and less jackoffy if you did have the fans there. You think it would be worse? I think it would have been better. Anyway. It's always worse when you. Again, it's not that the fans make it worse. It's that the fans don't make it a press conference. They make it something else where the media then facilitates the interaction between the fighters and the fans. This has nothing to do. Like, here's the thing. We have drummed out of the industry, like the kind of boring dudes who used to do the actual job, or I should say something approximating anyway, the actual job of journalism. There was much more of that but before, but we've made this job very difficult to get. It doesn't pay well. We've reduced the reliability of it and we've drummed out those people. And then we have allowed in these other, just whatever the fucks, these guys looking for to do whatever they're trying to do. And they were like, Oh, how'd these guys get here? You know how these guys got here because we don't take any part of this in any way. Seriously. That's how they got here. Like, I don't understand how people can say we want to have the fans and then call it a press. Do something else, man. Let them ask the questions. If the fans are, are there, you talking about Derek from Better questions. Bet. Is that what you're talking about, Luke? Let's 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 roll the tape here for for Mikey. Let's roll the tape. Nate, I'm actually a boxer myself, and I've been trying to get into this undercard. Um, I'm just wondering if you think <laughs> I could fight your brother Nick. If he's anything like you, I think I'd beat his fucking ass. Hmm. Not very respectful. From Brother, where are you just going to walk around the streets or, or some shit? You know, my homeboy see you right now. Yeah, I'm... I'm that was I'm, stupid, I'm, huh? I'm definitely pretty nervous right now. Yeah, yes, that was stupid. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, I'm Derek from Better Media. Hey, Derek, Better Media. Stupid ass <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> the fuck? You need to have your ass whipped. Hey. I, I, uh, he, he works. He works for my company. I'll, I'll handle nice. that later. I'll fire him later. Nice. I'm sorry about that, Nate. <laughs> Derek, so, shut up. Derek, shut up. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you know, it would have been funny if if Nate was like, "Who are you?" He was like Brian Campbell from Morning Gum. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it, Derek would have posted a video, Luke, subsequently on social media, apologizing and then doubling down and going after Drake. But uh, I mean, dude, that's yeah. I mean, J that's a Jake plant in that sense. But I get your even Jake point. hated it. I mean, it fell so no, flat, Jake, dude. dude. That that was planned. Jake didn't hate that. Jake was into that. I don't know. What did you think about the 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 boxing uh, blogger who was basically like, uh, Hey, you know, Nate, what do you feel about facing a guy who's obviously not going to the boxing hall of fame? And Jake? And, I mean, did you see, Luke, did you see that one too? I actually so, missed that question. That's actually, oh, they were funny, throwing but... that. There were legitimate quote unquote, legitimate boxing media. I mean, like, you know, video bloggers who were just throwing jabs at, at Jake the whole time. I mean, I don't know. I didn't feel like it got me jazzed up for the fight or the event at all well i still care about this fight certainly come fight night but uh but dude i just feel I, a little I, I, bit I, weird. Where, where jose let me let me ask this question like who do we blame for i know this guy is media but like who do we blame for the fighters on the dais getting insulted by questions and here's what i mean I saw someone say, like, you know, ever since there was Aldo McGregor in Dublin and Aldo got his belt stolen and the whole crowd is against him. And I remember Izzy doing fan Q&As in, news, excuse me, Australia ahead of the first Robert Whitaker fight. And the fans were giving it to him there. This is a media member, again, in the, in the most, like, you know, uh, barely accounts kind of way, but he is a media member. Like, where did this come from? Because I got to say, I, I've been to a fair number of boxing pressers in the last four years and then before that 10 years i don't recall anyone well, doing no, shit like that to canelo boxing, or like no at boxing pressers you get the opposite you get the 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 beverage manager of the mgm coming out to give you a five minute speech that no one cares about because he's so happy right. to have the fight at the complex and you right. do get some riffraff but to answer your question of how has this become allowed well the ufc kind of allowed it to be fair do you remember when that for example, when that reporter at uh, McGregor Alvarez press conference, which was already out of control, was that the one, Luke, where he came up and was like, he's going to beat your fucking ass? How are you going to answer that? You remember that? that specific yeah, and then he was dude? like, suck my big Irish balls, that whole thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, so there's, you know, and, and even our dude, even our dude with the pink suit, you know, our guy, Josh Cohen from, from the Dean Thomas radio show down there in Florida, love that mm -hmm. guy, but he also has been a big mixer of the pot. Look. It's a setup there, speaking particularly of the UFC press conferences, where they've allowed it to where you can come in there and try to announce your your site and then, you know, give a pitch. People are people are promoting their their betting website. Chad Johnson was getting sent to those. There's never been quality control on there. So that spilled into this event. But with that said, it almost felt like Nate was actually trying to take it serious and nobody else was. And he was just sort of like, what the fuck am I doing here? How did I get myself into this? You know, I, I just feel like we have so lost our way with combat sports media. We have completely, we've kicked out everyone in the business who used to give half a fuck. And yeah. now we're letting in every Jagaloon who is fucking filming himself on TikTok for clout and whatever else you want to say. And then, you know, folks get mad at, at, at media. It's like, guys, you drummed out of the business all the people who were trying to do this the right way. Could you I know, argue, like though, this, that, this like... is This is what you get. Right. But, you know, I mean, look, what has changed over the last 15 years? And for example, something I come from the boxing media, you know, major newspapers are not employing boxing writers anymore. So you're automatically going to get, you know, major sites as well. So you're automatically going to get less of the day to day, quote unquote, legitimate. That does open the door for more illegitimate. But Luke, a lot of these illegitimate, quote unquote, people have been able to turn it into probably more traffic 
then the legitimate ones would be able to deliver. So you may not like person in a shtick playing a character going up there only to self-promote themselves. But if you are the UFC or in this case, real fight promotions or, you know, MVP promotions, even if someone's coming up and acting like a jack off to make a 60 second viral video, it's still promoting your event, even though it's all about them. So that's also the, yeah. but fighters the don't need to be subject to this in. kind of bullshit. They don't, they, yeah, they I really, mean, it's, it's the it's meme absurd. culture we live in. This is also carnival crossover boxing as well. So that's sort of, yeah. Even then, I mean, if our producer says it's a plant, I'm sure it was to an extent a plant, but the whole thing, it fell apart pretty quickly. I was like, I beat your fucking ass. And it's just complete, complete crickets in that uh, American Airlines arena. Well, there's no center, fans, dude. That's the kind of pot stirring you do when there's a fan base there to, to back you up, Luke, if you're really trying to go, you know, meme style and create a moment. There was one other thing that came from the press conference. Very quickly, we'll react to it here. Texas has, uh, let's say, some not very lenient rules around marijuana consumption and being licensed to fight. Someone informed them of that. Uh, I should say informed Nate Diaz of that, and he was a little bit surprised. Roll it. Inside fighting. There are some back and forth tweets about steroids. You want there to be drug testing? Uh, yeah, but I don't care either way. Everybody I've been fighting my whole career has been on steroids. They know how to pass the testing. There will so. be testing in this fight. We're we going to be testing. Yeah. Stay off of steroids. It's vaude it's it's testing. There's a lot of weed in mine. <laughs> there is. Was it hard to get Jake to agree to vaude testing? No. No, he was down with it. And maybe Zach, you can chip in. There's no tolerance policy for marijuana here in Texas. How is that? How are you planning on handling that, Nate? Be determined based on our uh, deal with Vada. Wait, what happened? They have a no tolerance policy for marijuana here in Texas with the commissions. We're, we're talking with the commissions in Vada about how that's going to work. Play out. Well, is, that, is that breaking news to you, Nate? Well, let's go. Let's go to. California. We got the cops behind us. <laughs> is it cool if Nate blazes a, a blunt in Dallas? Or? <laughs> what is that? Dallas PD says you're good to go. Shout out to Dallas PD. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we can't dap you on camera. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do, Luke? Strip him of his crossover celebrity boxing super fight title if he wins i mean you know i, mean, I just think it'd be on. funny if texas was like yeah we're gonna let two guys like uh you know dada 5000 and kimbo slice yeah. fight nearly to the death but if nate diaz has marijuana in his system well we just can't let that fight go just i mean in florida you can like walk around with an automatic rifle but you legally can't smoke a joint luke so you know makes sense if you're yeah hey but let's damaged. keep going right. back to texas combat sports right they never <laughs> screw up they're great <laughs> Uh, last but not least, we got some quick hitters. We'll run through these very quickly. We don't have a whole lot to say. BC, he was supposed to fight Hanato Moicano, but it got scrapped because he got injured. But Armin Saryukian is going to take on Joaquin Silva. This is set for June 17th. I'm all right with it. Fun fight. Yeah, I like that. I need more Saryukian. Busier. Let's do it. Let's figure it Let's out. Let's do it. I completely agree. Tiago, by the way, also, a I didn't mind the Moicano fight, but this is a tough fight, but one he should win. Gives him a little bit more reps. I kind of like that. Uh, all right. Tiago Santos, uh, along with, I'm told, many others, but we only know of, I think, two or three, fails to drug, uh, excuse me, along with four others, but there's even more than that, I'm told. Uh, PFL Smart Cage used a, this is what it says in my writing. The PFL Smart Cage used a super smart algorithm to catch Tiago Santos, Christoph Jocko, two UFC veterans, Bruno Capaloza, and then Rizvan Kuniev. BC, I have to tell you, um, not surprised, but also don't really care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, let, let them. 
let them let them do it dude let, who let watches pfl to be like yo i need i can only watch pfl if they're 100 drug free bro let just can't juice. do it let just... them juice and by yeah, the way i saw on. pfl in just like the worst decision making imaginable thinking about working with usada it's like dude Every promoter who's not UFC should actively be avoiding it. Now, if you're if your main event guys want to use Vada, fine, fine, but that's up to them. I have no issue with that. But like actively requiring that kind of thing when you're when you're outside the UFC is like a promotional malpractice, to be perfectly honest. Okay, BC. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but Paul Craig has in fact made a successful test cut to 185. Said it felt horrible, but he could do it. Um. Do you, do you still want him to do it now that he was able to find a way to make it happen? I mean, if you can pull it off, he was talking to the Leathered podcast. I believe that's his podcast, Luke. I believe it's his, yeah, meaning getting drunk. Yeah, um, I hope it's an S&M spinoff podcast as well. But, uh, I mean, look, uh, I don't know. I mean, did you feel like he was in a point where he had to make a drastic move, Luke? Did you feel like we were at that point? No, no. And all was, I mean, again, it's not like he dropped 10 pounds. It's 20. Like It's a lot, yeah. dude. I mean, if he can pull it off and this can be a healthy thing, I do think, Luke, as we're finding out in recent years, that there's like the weight cutting you did because you knew a guy who kind of knew what he was doing. And then there's professional weight cutting with experts and, and you know, and even using the PI in the, in the you know, the resources that they positively give you there. We've seen a lot of fighters once they cross over to that professional level of, oh, let me take it serious, that they can pull off hard weight cuts. As long as he's doing it the right way and he feels like he can be okay let's try it luke fine sure try it but uh he's too you know he's too good looking luke and too you know and too active outside of the cage to to mess with his health if you ask me all right there's yeah. too many too many birds he can be you know skateboarding his way to you know what i mean, I mean what, what did he do when he left our room service diaries couch luke he's like oh yeah i got a lunch date <laughs> dessert only yeah 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 <laughs> there might be some salad tossing involved you wow. know what I'm all right okay all uh right. bc last but not least jamal hill wants to return in august doesn't say who but there you go all right so so there's a rumor that they're they're gonna book pro Hotska in boston so yeah. uh and yeah. jamal hill told mma junkie luke that he's hearing august in boston dude that fight's gonna be awesome yes it is that fight's gonna be fucking crazy like all of his fights and yeah. someone's probably gonna get viciously knocked out and i don't really know who and that makes it fun Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> 
Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wayne, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. And that's why I watch MMA. All right, Luke, let's transition to the closing segment of the day where we give you an email address, morningcombat at gmail.com. And you can send in, yeah, you're dead wrongs on Friday, but Wednesday is where we open up the fridge door and we let you paste your artwork on the outside of it and pictures of your fiance wearing our clothes. Yeah, it's called fan submissions. You've got mail. Viewers. Most Dude, a of buddy them- of mine, I'm like a buddy of mine right now. This like this okay, this guy was the salutatorian of my high school, meaning not the top GPA, but just under it. And he went to Georgetown, like just an eminent winner. He just texted me a picture of himself getting a tattoo on his forearm right now. So I'm trying oh, to figure out what the, the hell is going on. Yeah, let's let me judge him by his by his not only the design, but the the craft, the artwork, because you know. For for all the all the all the shit you've tossed at Mr. Hebos, you know your friends are going to be judged from here on out for their ink. Very strong. I only I only did it because you made me. Like I didn't go out of my way to be like every time. Let's talk about it. You wanted to talk because you were like, oh, the sentiment is nice. That must mean therefore the artwork is good, and the two are not connected. Come here, spitfire. All right, Luke. Let's start <laughs> off with. Uh, at L Heffy, not Jeffy. Uh, Mrs. Heffy and I were representing MK at Extreme Knockout Fight Night 60 in Arlington, Texas, and a tip-to-tip pick at the U.S. debut of one championship in Broomfield, Colorado. I fully expect a solid roasting for the out-of-shape bordering on fat guy in little shirt picks. But I wanted to say that out of all the major boxing and UFC events I've attended in my life, including multiple UFC pay-per-views and both Canelo and Errol Spence pay-per-views, the atmosphere of one championship was easily top three and possibly the best. Not one fight broke out in the crowd that I saw, I've never been to a UFC event that didn't have at least one fight breakout, and most boxing events have multiple, and you're right, and no booing that I remember, even in the submission grappling events, some mis, uh, misogynistic as shit screams during the female fights, so not a perfect crowd, but a great live experience. Luke, you're a washed dad with a beard. Can you comment on El Hefe's, uh facial look and ink and tight t-shirts? Hard to tell with the ink because I can't get a great look at it. Um, you know, hey, I'm listen. The t-shirts probably are a bit short, but the the level of dedication between this gentleman and his uh, better half here is significant. And for that, yeah. I give them high marks. They go to fights, Luke. They are fight fans. They go to fights, and they. I gotta tell you, dude, that one show looked good. It looked yes. good. You know, watching it. Indeed, indeed. Shout out to that lady for wearing our brand to represent her man, Luke, okay? Because she loves him so much. Wow. You think my wife would wear morning combat gear at any point, Luke? Do you think there's a chance? Like to take out the garbage or something? Not a chance. Yeah, not a chance at all. No, <laughs> does not want anyone to go up to her and be like, oh, you're a dog? You like morning combat? Yeah. No. Do you, uh, <laughs> do you, uh, my, my, my wife would, but we don't make anything in her size. Like, she's chiquitica. Okay. All right. Well, you're going to have to talk to um, not RJ for that. Luke, let's go over to Wizzle HO. He says, uh, hey, Luke, whatever happened to that T-shirt company you started way back in the day? As you can see from that photo, my TRT Turtles. Oh, my God. 
hasn't aged a bit. See the image one attached. And if you're wondering, yes, it smells as bad as it looks, making it the perfect gym shirt. But no worries, Luke. You can yeah. still redeem yourself in the next photo by naming the exercise I'm doing and who is on the painting in the background. So this is easy. He's doing something called a Zercher squat. Yes. Uh, and the guy in the background is Franco Colombo. Dude, you went two for two on there. Cheers from yeah. Germany, you dedicated infantry combat killers. Go oh, back real quickly. Go back real quickly. Wizard. I want to show you here. Uh, Franco Colombo, the guy deadlifting, was Arnold Schwarzenegger's number one training partner. He actually tragically died not too long ago, drowning, I think, in the Mediterranean Sea on a boating accident. Um, and then the Zercher squad is famous because now a lot of guys are using this to train takedown defense, which you can imagine why that would be a thing they want to do. As for the t-shirt company, I had an idea to start one and we just really never got off the ground and I, it was too much work and I kind of abandoned ship pretty quickly, but we did have some good ideas uh, in terms of artwork. Not his cable management, but if we can go back to that, that gym picture one more, can you talk about his pipe management and his gym setup, Luke? Well, the pipe management, you know, I mean, in terms of laying pipe is probably with that you know, set up, not well, that great. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going there, but I agree with yeah. you on that. But uh, there's like exposed. Oh, that's like his boiler room, basically. Right? Yeah. So here's what I would say. There's a guy named Pete Rubish, which for a time was he he, he was on. It's a, he's been in a sort of like a noteworthy journey where he took a bunch of steroids and he got really fucking strong and he got off of them. Now he doesn't use them anymore. But for a time, he was one of the best deadlifters in the world. And he actually started filming himself in his boiler room next to his washer and dryer. And uh, he got famous even during that time. So I actually respect that he's deadlifting or zercher squatting anyway down in this space. It's just the mullet thing just fucking kills me. But, you know. All right. Hey, let's go over to Alex. He says uh, the tattoo is of he faced this. Luke, is that it? Working at his anvil. Is that some Greek god? I don't know how to pronounce he Hephaestus. You ever hear of that? He I have to see it spelled. I'm not sure. H E P H A E S T U S. Who is that, Luke? I'm not sure. Again, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, this guy uh, says I used the tat to cover scars from six surgeries it took to put my leg back together after an accident. Jesus. 13 hours over two sessions. Uh, this is Alex. Luke, your thoughts. Here we go. Uh, BC, he's got pie there, the symbol pie at the bottom of the tattoo. What is pie? How would you define it? Uh, 3.14. So Hephaestus is the god of yeah, fire. Yeah, but, no, no, but that's not what pie is. What is pie? Like, what number does it represent? Hair pie? That's uh, third base where <laughs> I come from, Luke. Okay. You know it actually goes much further. It's infinitely running. 3.145927, blah, blah, blah. It goes on from there. It's the relationship in every circle between the circumference and the diameter. That's how you get that number. Every single circle is the exact same. It's the relationship to the circumference of the diameter. 3.141415927, blah, blah, blah. If this show got go. canceled, like how many further steps down in your personal life would it take before you're teaching community college like Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting? Luke? It's not your fault. It's not your <laughs> fault. <laughs> let's go to Johnny M. Uh, here's a meme from the show, he says. All right, let's see. BC making a valid point. Luke not listening and reading his notes, making the same point right after. Yeah, it happens. I'm trying to be better about it, but it still does happen time to time, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, yeah, I even do it to you every once in a while, Luke, all right? Once in a while. Not as bad as me, but once in a while. Uh, this is Chris. He says, hey, washed pieces of shit. Something smells, and the odor is quite pungent no it isn't luke's sweaty pits after working out on the lawn and it's not bc's expired rotting toes it is very putrid <laughs> though 
and the vile smell that would singe the nose hairs of a normal mortal, but it certainly excites BC's nostrils. Who could, what could simultaneously smell so offensive yet be so attractive for BC? Usually it would be gas station raccoon feed. Not today. Today it's BC's feces. Chris from Long Island here. Luke, he says he'll get you next week with a different meme. But what do you I'm think? I'm sure about he this? will. I like it a lot, actually. I think it's pretty great. Your weekly dose of elder abuse and embarrassing white people. Hey, in fairness, it yes, it does have that, but it also has embarrassment for a lot of other groups. I want to be we, yes. we, we are very inclusive in terms of who we roast on this fucking show. Very true. It just happens to often be white people <laughs> just doing crazy shit viewers. i mean i don't yes. make the rules uh let's bring in jay paquette luke good day luke and bc and mk nation since this has been referenced on the show before and most recently last wednesday friday's in studio edition finally of mk hot ones featuring luke thomas and brian campbell <laughs> the revised version of my fan sub from 2022 luke step up your vape game with the bomb vape and bc let's make that liver a little darker, my brother. Let's go. Love you guys. Keep up the amazing multi-award winning show. It's the co-donk of the year and super fan for life from Mount Unike. It's Jay Paquette. Luke, your thoughts on these memes here? Um, Pretty good. I give it a solid B minus, C plus. Um, pretty good. Mikey's saying that Jay Paquette also sent in a three-minute tribute video. I mean, what RJ. are these guys doing? They're just turning in. This is not MTV. It's not MTV. So apparently we can't play the full three-minute video right now, but uh, we'll figure out something, I guess. Uh, Luke, are we going to actually eat hot wings Friday in the studio? Is that a thing? I hope so. I hope so. All right. All right. Uh, let's go over to Don P. Um, is this Don Paquette, Luke? I don't know. Hey, guys, surely not the BBL Luke was hoping for. <laughs> but I heard the show renamed uh, renamed me as BBL, the Baller Boss Lady. So I figured it was time to check in. Included is a video with some pictures from my recent Vegas conference. We had a great time on the strip showing off our MK merch. Big shout out to my close friend and co-worker, Nicole, for her participation and for being such a great sport. Take care. Much love. It's Don P, a.k.a. Baller Boss Lady. No, because his wife looks like a baller. <laughs> Everybody's got a price. Everybody's gonna pay. Always it's his way. <laughs> Cost a lot. And you will be bought. <laughs> okay, a lot of self-promotion here. A lot of self-promotion. <laughs> Luke, they did wear our brand, meaning Boss Lady and her friend Nicole, all over yeah, that gross yeah. strip. A lot, lot of lot of back padding going on here. I hope the paquettes don't break their arms uh, in the process. <laughs> Uh, do you have any comments about uh, the boss lady's friend, Luke? Uh, thanks for the support. I'll okay. be nice. I mean, do, do you think Jay puts his wife up to this over gunpoint or no? 
No, they seem like two peas in a pod. Like they most look at each other and be like, you know, stepbrothers. Like, are we? Did we just become best friends? Like they all think the same things. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, I got something here from Alan W., another star in the uh, in the lineage here. Since I know Luke has a deep hate for Thor: Love and Thunder, while Brian has a deep love for the film, I don't know about deep love, folks. I did see it with my son in the movies, and he was excited. And I thought it was entertaining. Okay, not a cinematic classic, but it was entertaining. Um, I felt it's appropriate to push out some parody art from my art hole. P.S. Brian, I know you haven't been a fan of my reimagination of you in the female form. I've tried my best in making you presentable here. To be fair, I don't have much to work with. Neither do I, Alan. Neither do I. Yes, yes. I love this. This is great. Love and blunder. Yeah, yeah, that's that's decent. Uh, he's got a second one here. He says, being that three margaritas is not equivalent to 50 fucking beers, it's no surprise that you guys ingest Delta 8s <laughs> and not MedCard Delta 9s with higher THC levels. Here's the tireless improvement and expansion in all ways. Uh, at art, uh, art play with the stellar sushi documentary, Gyro Dreams of Sushi. No, it's Euro Dreams of Sushi, right? Or Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Jiro, okay. okay. It's the you never seen the documentary? I've told you about it. I have not seen the documentary. Is it? It's true, this though, old, old. It's this old Japanese guy who actually has a, uh, a a sushi shop in somewhere in the Tokyo subway system. But you got to remember, Tokyo subway is like, you know, it's really well maintained. It's one of the considered one of the best restaurants in the world. Some of the best sushi you can get. But the whole the whole documentary is about how. He does the same thing every day. He just tries to be as perfect as possible each day and like what the value is in trying to do that with your life. It's really cool. All right. Uh, do you think it's true, though, that that MedCard Delta 9s have higher THC levels? They do, but uh, I have those, too. So. <laughs> Luke's budget. Good to go. For- yeah, yeah. All right. Finally, from Alan W., this is for BC, the modern heavyweight boxing era is actually the super heavyweight era. And I reflected on some of the best super heavyweights of all time in size and or height. Instead of asking you who is the best, I present to you here the super, super heavyweight tournament bracket. I would like your critique and commentary when it comes to the progression of this tourney. These are, in my opinion, peak versions of each fighter. And I also threw in six foot four George Foreman from 1973 to make things interesting. So look, this is an eight man Super heavyweight. The idea of super heavyweight basically to me means like six, four, or five, and and taller and jacked. Tyson Fury against Lennox Lewis in one side, Vladimir Klitschko against Riddick Bowe in another, and on the other side of the bracket, George Foreman versus Deontay Wilder and Vitaly Klitschko versus Anthony Joshua. Uh, Luke also is their years of the best version of them. Mm-hmm. Who's coming out of this tournament, Luke Thomas? So Foreman beats Wilder. I'm going to say the 2003 Klitschko. Ooh. No, Joshua yeah, Vitelli, beats Josh, no, no, Joshua. Vitelli you think Joshua knocks out? out sorry, you think, you think Vitaly knocks out Anthony? Without question. Not okay, even okay. a second thought in my mind. Okay, okay. So then Foreman versus Vitaly. I'm still going to take Foreman. Um, on the other side, you got Fury Lennox Lewis. That's a tough one, but I'm probably going to go Fury. Then you have Vladimir of 2010 versus Riddick Bowe of 93. I'm going to go Riddick Bowe. Yeah, dude. So then, Riddick Bowe is one of, although he made the Hall of Fame, Luke, and I did think it was questionable, the peak version of Riddick Bowe from the first Holyfield fight when he, for the only time in his career, committed to fitness on a level that we've never seen before, that's one of the scariest heavyweights of all time on a single night, like without question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then 
You've got Fury probably versus Bo. I like Fury there. So then it's Fury versus Foreman. I'd probably take Fury, honestly. I don't know, man. I got to see if Fury gets one. by Lennox Lewis. That Lennox Lewis matchup is tough for Fury. That's tough, Luke. That's a tough fight. The winner of that may win the whole thing, by the way. The winner of that first round matchup. What do you think? Lennox Lewis could win this whole super heavyweight bracket. Lennox could win, Fury could win, or Foreman could win. I feel like any of those three could win. All right. And what did I miss a, a, a meme in there, Mikey, in between? Was that another Allen W one? Yeah, Luke Dreams of Delta 8. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. We close with this, Luke. Average Joe R is trying to make a move here. For the, so pumped to see this because this dude's been teasing this on social media. Yeah. See what you got, kid. Let's see what you got. He's like been showing us a little bit of his ball hair, a little bit of the yeah, you know, like I, I show let me see the whole thing, right? Hi guys, for my final audition, I've decided to bring out the big guns. Fun fact, I keep a notebook of random ideas I have for artwork, and the list for MKs are on 20 deep. There are two ideas I've been sitting on for a while that I finally had the time to sit down and execute. Both ideas pay homage to classics for different reasons, but also offer completely different looks for MK merch instead of the big boy. I present to you the beige boy. Have you seen this shit design featuring a sloppy BC special? Oh my God. Wow. Now we have two, two logos for this. That is, that is first fucking rate. And I like the morning combat in like the neck of the shirt. You know what I'm talking about right there at the top. Yeah. Uh, Secondly here, instead of heroes in a half shell, I present to you middle-aged washed podcasting duo. Dude, Luke you got to be fucking oh, kidding wow. me. Luke sports the red from the DC flag. Did I get the tattoo correct? I did yes. it from memory. While Brian sports the blue from CT and opts for a gas station hot dog over a slice of pizza. <laughs> Dude, I mean, if we oh, don't make boy. that fucking shirt, I would wear that shirt five days a week. Yeah, well, that'd be kind of weird wearing my own shirt, but you know what I'm saying? We, need we to gotta get, get that on a fucking shirt, man. A few people on the same phone call and figure this out. Uh average Joe Art closes with get at your boy and let's make a deal so I can knock yeah, out I agree. Luke Thomas's front yard weightlifting club and BC's black liver special. And since summer is approaching an MK take on TNC Surf. Wow, I'd be here for that. Remember that from the 80s, Luke? Remember that skateboarding Nintendo game? Yeah. Uh gentlemen, my lines of communication are open. It's average Joe Art. Well, I love it. I want to see it. I hope we get a chance to do something. You got to understand, uh, we, we don't, the merch situation is better now. It works, but in terms of like creative input, we're not exactly sure how that's going to go. So we have to figure this out. But look at me. I love what you made. I love everything about it. I can't wait to uh, look, can we play business. Jay Paquette's RJ dedication video on Friday? Yeah, time permitting. Okay. Okay, we'll I can take a I can there. take a nap through it. I could probably go take a dump. You yeah, know. yeah, you probably could. Uh, morning com. Wow, look at that. Morning combat at gmail.com. Luke is where you can send in your bullshit to us. Thank you. So seriously, across the board, a lot, a lot of great submissions coming in, and uh, thank you, Boss Lady Dawn, for dealing with that man and representing us in Vegas. All right, there yes, you go. We appreciate that very much. Thank you. Um, want to remind everyone, as he said before, morningcombat at gmail.com to reach the show. Friday show in studio. Are we going to eat hot wings, a bucket of scorpions? Who knows? I don't know, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun show. We're going to do something for you guys on Friday. Don't forget, BC and I will also be in studio to call the prelims for the Showtime Championship boxing card that's going to be on Saturday. Rolly Romero back in action. By the way, for the full, is it for the full 
so they got play, they can't. Like, yeah it's not well he's a champion in recess so is he no today they announced it's for the vacant it's for the vacant title tonight today okay. they announced that okay okay so in any case Rolly romero back in action could be a fun little contest there we'll be calling the prelims for you from the studios in jersey city and uh yeah bc that's it anything for the audience that they should know no i mean you know not really not really all right here's what here's bc checks out this is the old bc checkout ready just gonna just quit on you right in the middle this is what this is what he does at dinner he's like i just hit a wall like fuck all you guys i'm gonna leave you here uh thanks to see showtime showtime.com is the label that pays 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can bounce of course we have merch you can go to morningcombat.store. Hopefully, we can put some average Joe Art up in there. And that's it for right now. We are done. So thanks to Mikey Mormile on the ones and twos, CBS Sports, Showtime, and all of you out there. We will see you in studio on Friday for a fun, fun program. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.